0: hello hello time to get dough
1: In Los Angeles, we are live as always. Hope you're all having a great weekend. We got a fun one today. We're just chatting, talking some fun topics, good vibes only, (laughs) taking some calls, a bunch of calls if they come in. No guests today. It's just a hangout session. You're uh, listening to some King Black Bolt an album called Where Are You? Cause you can only find on Bandcamp under Condina Records. Next week, got a super fun live show. Next Sunday, Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> Guys had a really interesting life. Super cool stories. We're really excited to have him on the show. So if you want to know anything about his wrestling career, his movie career, the new predator movie chris kyle fucking up chris kyle suing chris kyle's widow um (laughs) his political career all that stuff uh be sure to tune in next sunday at one
0: call in and talk to jesse and us yeah and that was actually the suggestion of one of our call-in guests remember that's right so
1: we listen to you
0: we listen to you guys and we, we do what you say so welcome to dosed this is abby martin thanks mike Uh, for that intro there. Yeah, like Mike said, the show's going to be a bit different today. There's so many horrible things going on, as always, so much to say about them, but we're going to try to keep it a little light. We're also going to take calls earlier than usual. And when you call in, we we did this the first episode or two, but I want to get back to it, right? Especially during these Hangout sessions. I want you to kind of think about something that's dosed you before you go into your question or comment or whatever you want to talk about or just call in with that or just call in with that yeah call in with something cool that has dosed you tripped you out changed your mind in one way or another it doesn't have to be political it can be science oriented really anything i'm super curious to hear what what you guys uh what you guys are all about get some get some dose moments going um so think about that as you listen because we're going to take calls periodically throughout the show. Mike, I know that I, I know that I just prefaced all of this by saying we are only going to talk about some lighter issues, but look, something horrific did happen earlier in the month that I have not been able to comment on because we've been really really going hard with Earth's greatest enemy. We've been working very diligently Doing a bunch of awesome interviews coming up on Empire Files, Immortal Technique, Vincent Blevins, Bevins with Jakarta Method. Um, really cool stuff happening. Look out for that on the Empire Files channel. But moreover, we've been just planning the shit out of uh, wrapping up the rest of filming for Earth's Greatest Enemy. Going to Hawaii, getting on naval assault ships, confronting Secretary of the Navy and commanders for the Army. Um, about these war games in the Pacific So all of that good stuff Definitely check it out Sign up for the Earth's Greatest Enemy mailing list If you have not already To get updates on that But that's why we've been kind of MIA That's why we haven't really been in the fray And, you know, we missed another horrific assault on Gaza This month, Mike And um, I just wanted to say a couple things about that Before we get into the other topics today I mean, it's like, what can you say even, you know the fact that this happens every few, not even every few years, it it, it honestly feels like every year it just happens over and over again, um, and it's just completely insane. I mean, the callous taking of life, life that has only lived on this planet such a short time. You know, children make up pretty much the third of all people who are murdered in these regular assaults on this open air prison. Children already make up a huge, a huge portion of Gaza's refugee population that were forcibly expelled and that are basically caged in this open air, you know, prison, um, routinely assaulted. And this assault that only lasted two days actually killed 47 Palestinians, 16 of them children, five of the children Um, ranging from 4 to 17, were basically from one family. You know, this happens routinely as well, where just entire families are just wiped out over, you know, cross generations. Um, And they were attacked basically visiting their grandfather's grave in a cemetery in one of these camps before an Israeli drone just blasted all of these people and just obliterated them. Um, Nothing was happening at the cemetery. Palestinians have described cemeteries in Gaza as almost being like parks because there are so many and there's such few space um, to actually have, you know, places for children to play. So it's just a lot. It's a lot to wrap your mind around. And I'll just leave you with this, that, you know, every time this happens, Israelis, you know, Basically, try to liken their "quote unquote" plight of having rocket alarms go off <laughs> across Israel as somehow comparable to like entire families in Gaza just being wiped out. Um, this is this is actually really interesting that someone spoke to a bunch of anonymous officials within the Israeli military, according to the Israeli news site Ynet, that talked about how they have they. It's within Israeli policy to kill a certain amount of non-combatants for every person that they're actually trying to take out. You know, and when we say person they're trying to take out, it really just means like someone who is a resistance fighter or someone who just works in Hamas, which is the elected government in Gaza. It could even be just like an electrician. (laughs) Um, And so this number is 11 people. 11 people are who israel says that is that is an acceptable number of civilian casualties for every one militant that they are attempting to target um so that that really says it all so the decision to kill entire families civilians five-year-old children like the five-year-old girl who was killed this is not a mistake this is actually a cold calculated decision um collateral damage that is acceptable in order for um, Israel to meet its policy goals, which is basically wiping out the entire resistance in Gaza. Um, another thing that's just really sad about this that I don't really think about much, but I was reminded of today, is that Israel then monitors the phone calls of people who have... I mean, they, they basically monitor all the phone. It's like the NSA dragnet surveillance, except like in Afghanistan, where they were just doing like whole whole cloth like listening to phone calls throughout the entire gaza strip so israel is monitoring all the phone calls of people in gaza monitoring their responses to those people who've died and then studying them like in classrooms and shit and like military training you know as these these people are like screaming and wailing finding out that these babies are murdered and these soldiers just study the responses and um and then they also use these phone calls as blackmail basically, to try to recruit collaborators. So it's basically like the Truman Show. This is even how Israeli soldiers have described It's like a, a totally, just totally concocted reality where they're able to just, like, puppeteer people by exploiting their real hardships. Um, you know, things like them cheating on a partner, something like their sexuality that they don't want to get out, and so they exploit these personal things and force people into becoming collaborators for the israeli government um and then recruit them and then basically rat out other people in the gaza strip and then continue to use that to do what they do um this is all leading me also to say that there has been a very important and disturbing update in the anti-bds laws that um are you know Basically present in over half the states in the country, Mike, as people may know who are listening, I sued the state of Georgia in February of, of 2020 over its anti-BDS legislation that mandated state contractors to sign an Israeli loyalty oath in order to work in the state. The district court judge ruled in my favor, just as several other judges have in several other states that people have fought this ruling and won. Um, because it's just so flagrantly unconstitutional, violates our First Amendment rights in several ways. The right to boycott, the right of free speech. Sadly, Mike, um, back in June of this year, a U.S. Court of Appeals actually upheld the Arkansas law, the anti-BDS law in Arkansas. Now, this is a very significant ruling because it's the first time that a judge has upheld the law. Every other state, the judges have ruled it to be unconstitutional, has put Israel Israeli PR machine in the lobby in kind of a tailspin trying to figure out how they can keep these laws on the books. Um, and this was a huge victory for Israel because what it means now is that these laws will be going to the Supreme Court. And what does that mean, Mike? Especially with the judicial coup that has recently taken place, it means that we could easily see Anti-BDS legislation nationally enforced, with SCOTUS, with a SCOTUS ruling being the end-all, be-all, dictating that pro-Palestine speech will be criminalized, and that I think should be a real wake-up call for all of us. Thanks for that, Abby. It's time to turn it up a notch, though. From that,
1: we promised a fun episode today, but <laughs> had to get the important stuff out. You know, as I can myself, man. You know us. <laughs> So here we go. What are we talking about today, Abby?
0: We're talking about a lot of good shit, man. Um, I mean, as you probably know, Mike and I are married. And so we uh, we watch a lot of movies and shows. <laughs> and uh, we just watched a real good dosed-ass movie called Mad God. And, you know, we were just so sick of fucking investing like seven hours in these miniseries and whatever. And then it just like cuts off at the very last episode and you just feel like you read half a book (laughs) or like you just like put so much of yourself right into these shows and then at the end of it it's like wait i have to wait another year to resolve this storyline like it's just so obvious that these writers have like excellent ideas they're all packaged tightly for this you know a a season and then uh, obviously they get to the distributor or whatever or like the producer or whoever they're selling this shit to and then they're like no we have to stretch this shit out like another Z. like you have to like cut the basically the last episode make it a cliffhanger and then just somehow work out an extended script for an entire other like seven episodes it's always gonna be bad it's always gonna be bad and the thing is who's gonna wait like i i have no interest in waiting a year or two to resolve this shit, man. I can't even tell you how many series have been like this, but Resident Evil comes to mind because I just finished it last night and I was like, holy shit. Did they really do this to me again? Did they really do this again? And yes, of course they did. Of course they did. This is just the way Hollywood works. So that's why Mad God was yeah, just... so refreshing. Mike, take it away. Tell our audience what Mad God is and why it was so different than anything well, we've seen. Lately. Yeah, just... Uh... One more thing on Resident Evil.
1: It is. It also, it was a cool series on Netflix. I think, like, it was a nice, refreshing break from, like, the movies. Like, as someone who, like, always played the video game growing up. And, like, the movies are just kind of like, ah. And then, like, the show I thought was cool. Lance Reddick is in it, who's an incredible actor. Who, who likes see, us. Oh, he does, he does.
0: He's a fan of EF, baby. Oh,
1: Lance. Lance, um, if
0: you're out there. What's up?
1: <laughs> I think we got into him on that show Corporate that he was on. He had played a really good character in that, but he stars in the Resident Evil series, and it's just awesome. But yeah, it's like the finale was another one of those like blackmail finales where it just is basically like a it doesn't really it doesn't resolve anything it just introduces all these new problems and like the arc of the protagonist is like oh actually at the end you are like just in a bunch of shit and you like didn't overcome anything it's like uh it's kind of like blackmailing the studio like all right if you want a second season you got to give us more money or whatever like the people want it you know so it's kind of like you know trying to like manipulate the fan base and this whatever just to be able to get another contract so i don't know man it's like what happened to like just cool storytelling that's just like a story and then like all right if there's gonna do another season then take some time to figure out another yeah like true detective it's
0: just like do another thing you know, true it's detective like just wrap great up, example dude. of
1: just a one season show that was like an incredible story and then they're like all right now do a second season and the guy's like uh and then just does a really <laughs> bad second season
0: but even i appreciated at least that it was like you didn't just have this woody harrelson fucking oh yeah no it's a like, completely you know what I mean? story right which didn't work out well. Actually, no, no because, it's still bad. Because <laughs> the
1: guy spent like 20 years or had 10 years writing the first season. And then they're like, okay, you have six months to
0: make another season. You're just like, oh, okay. Dude, there's been so... And there's so many forgettable shows. Because it's like, I just immediately forget. I'm like, okay, well, this is unresolved. And I am I literally just... And now I refuse to watch the second season. Because I'm just like mad. I mean, so many of them. Yeah. I can't even remember. Just Resident Evil is so... <laughs> in my mind, because it just finished last night but it's like i feel like every <laughs> couple weeks this happens you know it's like yeah. you're just expected to just basically not resolve any of these stories that are out there and it's already insane to have something that could be a movie become a seven hour miniseries you know that's already <laughs> there's nuts. a lot of the series are like that where it's like, like the woodstock okay. one that we or like the monopoly one like, just show us people burning down <laughs> woodstock we don't need to see the two and a half hours or, leading um, up to the guys who burn down the stage
1: well you know it's funny when i was like, i mentioned that we're having jesse ventura on next week you know when i was doing some research about jesse and like st- stuff that's happened it's like so he was in the movie demolition man which is a awesome movie sylvester stallone and wesley snipes and jesse ventura is in that film but he has like a really small role as like a bad guy and it was everyone i guess was always like you know why did they squander this role of jesse ventura he this guy was like a big star um, why doesn't he have a bigger role in the movie? And it turns out he did have a huge role in the movie. He was, like, one of the main bad guys that Sylvester Stallone had to fight at the end before he got to his final battle with Wesley Snipes. But they cut it all out. Here's why they cut it out. Because the movie was two hours long, the original cut. And wow. the studio's like, people aren't going to watch a two-hour movie. we got to cut this shit down. <laughs> so they cut all of Jesse Ventura's, like, parts in this movie. So like, oh, we got to take a- out an entire battle because well, remember, we have to. two was, hours is too long for a
0: movie in the 90s i mean wasn't it like what was what were you telling me that had like an intermission it wasn't lord of the rings was it uh recently yeah i think no no no, no recently. there wasn't was an like inter,
1: i think there was controversy over a film not the new the uh, uh, marvel endgame avengers endgame was it over there, three people hours? were saying it was like, three and it was and like four or something oh my God, people man. were like you have to have
0: an intermission they're like no <laughs> <laughs> it's like a play it's like fucking Book of Mormon, um, or like no Lay Rob. It's like you need an intermission for that shit. That's too
1: long, even with an intermission. I, exactly, that's what I'm that? saying. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was, <laughs> At it first, was I lot. was
0: like, "Oh, this is cool. I see why people like this." And then I was like, "Wait, why? What, when is this ending?" <laughs> no, was, I think we. I think the the key to that is you have to be like really drunk. You know, uh-huh. you have to drink a lot of wine for those. Um, but anyways, so this is why we like the Mad God. So. I mean, and and Mad and let's just preface this by saying, like you. Watched the mandalorian and you watched boba fett right um and i refused to watch the mandalorian because i was like i'm not getting sucked into the baby yoda (laughs) craze and then i realized that um i was being really dumb because it was epic it was so goddamn good um i had no idea what i was in for and i was so i think i really was soured to jar jar binks i think it really scarred me (laughs) I really do. Um it really really screwed me up, man, as a kid. And so I actually just rewatched that
1: <laughs> episode one of Star Wars. It, it was really
0: just horrifying. It's horrifying what they did. Um and how bad the CGI was. So I did not know that Mandalorian and Boba Fett was bringing back all the monsters, all these aliens and barely any CGI. And that was the most special part about it is that you really You really go back to like the days of like Jim Henson, Labyrinth, you know, old school Star Wars type stuff where people are in costumes and there's just a lot of really good costume effects and makeup. And that is something that you do not see at all. And so um, I think that's why Mad God was so refreshing. Yes.
1: And actually, the guy we're going to be talking about, Phil Tippett, who created Mad God, he also worked on Mandalorian doing visual effects. Not surprising. Yeah. So, so here's a story. Mad God, you can watch only on Shudder, streaming on Shudder. It is an absolute tragedy that this film did not get a theatrical release and that it's just like an exclusive streaming thing on like one of the streaming apps that not really a lot of people have just like people who are really into, cause it's just, it, it's like singularly a horror, uh, streaming service. So it's just horror movies and shows. Um, so it's like, you know, that's like definitely a demographic, but it's not like a massive, massive demographic. I mean, it's probably millions of people have it, but you know, it's not like it's on Netflix or anything. It's on shutter, you know, and all the different apps, all they got to pay for them. Shutter is probably the one on the chopping block for a lot of people. Cause it's like, you want something with more diversity if you're going to be paying $20 a month. But anyways, It's only on Shudder. We got Shudder just to watch it. And it's interesting because it came out like the same time that Nope came out, the Jordan Peele movie, which we also, I think we saw that like opening night in the theaters and Nope was awesome. It was a fun ride, visually stunning, really cool story, great acting. It was just a great film. But like, I feel like nobody was really talking about Mad God. I didn't see anybody talking about it. It got some like write-ups, but like it was kind of fly under the radar. And so here's why the film's interesting
0: yeah, for the amount of work that went into it, it's pretty sad that it was kind of like a blip on the radar. You know? It took
1: 30 years to make. not be- So it's all stop motion, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's all stop motion. There is apparently one scene where there's some CGI things implanted, which I can tell you about, Abby, since well
0: there's also like uh live actors for like two of the there's some light
1: thing, act yeah. live actors but it's basically all stop motion the guy who made it phil tippett he is has an interesting story so this was like his passion project for the past thirty years and there's an interesting story behind why he like stopped making it in the 90s and then repicked it back up like a decade or so later so phil tippett is the guy who is behind the visual effects of star wars Jurassic Park. He's like the dinosaur guy in Jurassic Park. RoboCop, Starship Troopers. He created all the insect aliens. Cool. He did Willow. He did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh my like, god, he
0: did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, that's like amazing. the big ant. You know, oh, that's like
1: fantastic. shit like that. Like so, he created. And actually, here's how it's a he huge movie. Here's how he became famous. He was, or not famous, but how he like his career uh-huh. came up is. Does anyone remember Star Wars, the first, the original Star Wars? And there's the scene. In the Millennium Falcon, where R2 D2 is playing this chess with Chewbacca, this like holographic monster chess. And the chessboard pieces like fight each other or whatever. Um, actually, Avi, do you, do you recognize this, Abby? Come here really Let quick. Me I see. want to show come you. On. Come, come, come. Jar Jar Binks is not in this movie. Remember this one? Now, be they... careful, R2. <laughs> <laughs> then chewbacca gets all pissed because he like loses but like the pieces like fight each other and kill each other on the on the chessboard so anyways phil tippett was working he was in his like mid-20s and he was working on like a night crew visual effects night crew on the star wars movie just helping like create just working on different like uh sculptures and props and all that stuff and they were trying to figure out this chessboard scene and he's the guy that was like, I have an idea. And just, he's the one that himself came up with the idea of how to make that like holographic stop motion creatures fighting on um, making it look like a hologram on the chessboard. So when he did that, everyone was just like, oh shit, who is this guy? Like, how the fuck did you do that? Mm-hmm. And then he just immediately became like the visual effects guy in Hollywood. Um and so that's what. So then he went on to do all these other, worked on all the Star Wars, went on to do all these other big films. He was just the most sought after visual effects guy in um, in the scene. So he started back then working on this like because he was just visual effects guy on all these movies, other people's movies. So Mad God is something that he
0: A little passion project did
1: literally for everything for. He was the director, animator, visual effects, writer, producer, cinematographer, production design, props, special effects, character design, editing. Like he did everything and started working on it. So the film's fucking, I I guess just we'll say like what this film is first. It is just like, there's almost zero dialogue in the film. It's all about just like immersing you in this like nightmare hell world. It's really this like seven layers of hell, Dante circles of hell shit. Um, It's like, it's not like pleasant in a way to watch. It's like just dark and disturbing like the entire time. I think the story is, like, super cool, but it's less about the story and the plot and more about just the immersion in this insane visual world. And uh, the the th- reason that it was his passion project because this guy's known for, like, doing movie magic with, like, mm-hmm. puppets and stop motion and all this stuff. And so, like, what he accomplishes in this is, like nobody else can do it and so it's like when you really i don't know a lot about visual effects but like when you really it's all it's not just like stop motion it's constantly things circulating around and camera pans and lights moving it's just like how does this even happen and like a Mm -hmm. stop-motion studio and the creation of the world is just so intricate like there's this one scene there's like this war scene like a battlefield scene and apparently that took three years just With to all the build
0: nukes going off in the background. yeah and like, like all of like the, the
1: bodies fused together in huge piles yeah. like that that set alone has took three years to construct incredible. that incredible set so it just is, looks awesome it's it's like not the type of thing that you see anywhere obviously it was just based all on just this guy's skill and imagination and creativity um and it's just awesome. I mean, it just—I've been thinking about it ever since I saw it, and it was just, yeah. like a really—I don't know what, did you, what was your. I mean, I think I, the I think I
0: appreciated and, it more at the end, like the whole that part where like you go into the the really bright world of the guy keeping the little don't jar. Spoil it. I'm not going to spoil. I mean, there's no way to spoil it. It's totally insane and hard to even describe. Yeah, you actually, put but I mean, spoil it. I mean, it I mean it's just it. really—it's completely indescribable. I think, um, and. It's really cool when you kind of, at the end of it, you kind of like understand a little bit more of the symbolism, you know. I won't give anything away, but yeah, there's so many different aspects of it that I loved. I loved that every time the guy would go through the world, it would be a completely different world, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's so many, there's so many fucking awesome things about it. Uh, really mind blowing characters that like you just sit back and you're like who is this guy like what what kind of mind do you have to have to envision you know like the the character that looks like um the plague doctor with Mm -hmm. all the baby toys like hanging off of him, holding cradling that monster baby like taking it through and he's like floating
1: that yeah so that's trippy because it's this stop motion creature moving Mm -hmm. in stop motion yet it has all these like ribbons off it that are like Mm -hmm. blowing in the wind that are clearly like blowing in the actually video of something blowing but it's like how is it how are you doing stop motion
0: and like wind stuff it was just Mm
1: -hmm. really wild
0: um
2: yeah it
1: was
0: was mind-blowing i I loved it it just made me wish that i could watch more of this guy's stuff and it's like really sad that this was a 30 year it was like oh well i guess it's just one and done i mean (laughs) just one and done i mean hopefully
1: it'll generate enough interest where he'll get so here's the thing is he funded it off like a kickstarter for like a hundred grand wait And it was mostly all volunteer labor because the guys in Berkeley, like my brother's friend, actually worked on it. Yeah, it was all volunteers like people who lived in Berkeley who know this guy's work and wanted to like work on a project of his. It was literally mostly all volunteer labor on like a hundred thousand dollar budget to like make all the
0: projects. Wait, that's really surprising because I I guess I have no conception at all about how much stop motion costs, and it seems like building these sets alone would be like an astronomically high.
3: Price tag, With
0: paid labor. Hollywood, With, hey, no, yeah, of course. So it's like they're literally like it. constructing like football field site, like just navigating all the maze-like structures of of every single scene was a different set, um and all the weird, creepy dolls and all the shit that he had to fuse together. But let me ask you this, because I see here in the outline that this dude, you know, he was really hot, like as a visual effects artist and stuff in Hollywood back when CGI was kind of first introduced. Yes. So here's which really is tragic. Cause I'm wondering is it, was that kind of the demise of his? So check this out. Uh, yeah. So he still worked on movies. So he's always, he's still been
1: working on movies, but um, here's why I mad guess utility. God was, was
2: it
0: like the demise of his utility for these people? So
1: yeah, kind of. So he was working on mad God back in the early nineties. Cause he had this, like these, these crazy visions in his head and, and wanted to like make it into a film. So here's why he shelved it. This is why it started in the nineties and didn't get made until just now is because he was working on Jurassic park one, you know, which came out in 1993 and you know, he's creating the dinosaurs, the dinosaur visual effects. And that's a, one of the awesome thing about that movie is all the dinosaur puppets and all that shit. So Steven Spielberg tells him, hey, actually we're going to replace all the Brontosaurus scenes with CGI. And it was like the first big CGI film because all the scenes of like the large herbivores, you know, the Brontosaurus moving through the fields and all that stuff, that is all CGI. CGI, When it didn't have to be. Like Phil Tippett was working on it and making all the dinosaurs look awesome. And so Phil Tippett was just like, fuck this nobody's gonna care about my work anymore and i'm shelving mad god and i'm not gonna you no know, he's like no studio is gonna want this film because it's all gonna be about cgi now and he even says <laughs> wow. um and he, he was even, right <laughs> yeah and he says every so he's like start he says quote starship troopers was the last one i ever had fun on making right episodes. and he's like every every he said the rest were raspberry sound he said it just went right downhill after that for everybody. So he's saying every film he worked on since Starship Troopers, which is a lot of films, he says he hated all of them, didn't have fun working on them. Because once CGI came in, it just kind of ruined the thing. And he actually has this other quote um, that's about Hollywood in general. And I just thought it was just cool to put into perspective differently his film Mad God. He says... In general, everything's too saccharine for me, too Hollywood, you know? It's just inbred too much, and it's of absolutely no interest to me at all. Cinema has gotten incredibly boring. It's only about money. It's not about skill. It's not about craft. It's about greed in the American way. It's Coca-Cola, you know, and just getting as much money as you can out of your massive resources to make more money to make more crap. And, like, that's his his a view of Hollywood in general. So Mad God was just a complete... I'm going to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. This is what cinema should be. And what using your skills as someone who can create cinema. And, you know, that's why it wasn't a big Hollywood movie because it's, it's not part of that like machine.
0: It's so true. I, I think that there are some interesting things happening, but it's also like, and some visual effects that are good because CGI has gotten so good. But like overall, I would say that this generation of cinema is probably like the least innovative, the most formulaic, um, at least in the mainstream you know i mean I, I it's awful it really is awful and it's like everything is just remakes or sequels and it just becomes more and more contrived every time that they try to turn some of this stuff out because he's right i mean it, it's no longer about innovation or creativity or just doing things out of the box it's just about plugging things into like an algorithm you know and then the audience is like so a lot of the audience is like very bad like i mean i tend to disagree with a lot of like rotten tomatoes scores and stuff but even that you can't even believe because it's like all just kind of quid pro quo give and take for reviewers to get in to the circle of like these movie production studios and shit you know and to get the tickets and to get into, like, the actors' spaces and do the interviews and shit. So it's, like, I don't even... I can't trust, really, any reviews that I'm reading because I feel like all of it is, like, access journalism. You know what I mean? What did
1: we see recently where we were, like, this is the worst movie we've ever seen,
0: but it was, like... It was, like, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I feel, like, so...
4: so forgettable. X? Oh. Yeah, X. It was was fucking trash, you know? And it
0: was, like... I mean, it's just so predictable and so bad, and it's so... I have such a low bar for anything now that I just, like... I just go in with the least possible expectations for anything, and which is really sad, you know? It's not really exciting anymore because it's like I I cannot even remember the last movie that I really saw in the theater that blew me away, honestly. I mean, Nope was good, but it definitely didn't, like—it it didn't, like, blow me away, you know? So, Mad God, I wish that I saw it in the theater because I feel like it, it is one of those— just really iconic, once in a lifetime films, you know. And I think, it, as we just said, it, a thirty-year project, it it is. Yeah. So
1: actually, in the after that, him working on Jurassic Park and having that moment with Steven Spielberg, where he's just like, "Fuck everything! Like nobody cares about this anymore." In twenty ten, like some of his team, you know, the people that work with him, they like found some of the stuff that he had started making for Mad God and they're just like dude this is insane like you have to make this this is incredible. And so they just started a Kickstarter. <laughs> the guy and like I said raised like 100 grand, like not very much at all. And then so and then everyone just like volunteered to work on it cuz they were like this actually is awesome and just because no big studio is going to want to fund it doesn't mean that you shouldn't work on it.
0: That's actually a beautiful story that it was like a collaborative effort, like a communal space him, where everyone yeah. was like you can be a part of this film, everyone can have hands on deck and everyone can like have a piece of it and be a part of the construction of it. I think that that's really amazing, actually. That's incredible. It's something that's so rare, you know, and what's funny to juxtapose this whole narrative of mad God and, how complex it is i just saw a hilarious depiction of what green screen like it, it was like depicted as like this is the magic of green screens you know and it was just like what the fuck? like this is what they use green screens for like look i Wait, lord of the rings and i'm gonna tell you but like you know gollum and lord of the rings and stuff like that's amazing you know when you can actually act out something on a green screen that you cannot replicate like that is yeah world like that i mean that's amazing right but this was a green screen of just a person in like a like the a room the size of like our bedroom mike and it was just a person going down in like a lab like pressing the elevator button going down in the lab getting off the elevator walking around pressing buttons and it was like they were doing nothing they were just like walking in a box and like circles and it was just like isn't this incredible the mastery and like like magic of the green screen it was like why can't you just make this room this is insane <laughs> this this is ridiculous it and costs like a hundred dollars an hour for the green screen studio <laughs> or you have to and it was also like the how into that scene can you really be as the actor it was like you don't even have any frame of reference at all where you're just in... you like cgi <laughs> yeah. the buttons and after you <laughs> just, like touch the green yeah, no, that's wall they're like, oh, put a button there <laughs> it was completely absurd um and then I and then I also saw this really cool video of like how old movies used to do special effects and that was actually amazing. Like diorama background. Yeah, like diorama like um, like Charlie Chaplin falling into like a hole or <laughs> something <laughs> like some like small like a like a what looks like a huge city but it's really just like a tiny little prop behind him but like the way that the camera's set and you know it's just really i mean that stuff is way more fascinating to me than just like a what green screens are just used for and you know what's funny about how like
1: tippet being like when cgi was coming out being like okay it's over for our industry Mm -hmm. and it kind of was you know cgi took over okay you look at CGI back then, it looks fucking horrible. That's oh, why Jar Jar Binks shocking. is so bad in that film. And, and that's and not even the nineties, that's early two thousand and then two thousand ten is when he Phil it got encouraged to make Maggot by his team. Huh. You look at CGI from 2010, that shit sucks. Like, it was never really... I mean, now it's like... I mean, maybe in 10 years we'll look at CGI now and be like, this isn't it's great. good now. But it's definitely, like, a long learning curve of, like, perfecting that thing because... Oh, I mean, yeah. It's
0: taken probably 25 years to make it... And then you look at shit like make
1: it, The Thing, you know, John Carpenter's oh, The it's Thing. A, it's, like, a, one a of the match. coolest things visually because it gets there's you know there's no it's timeless. Made weird puppets
0: it's timeless all these movies that were made in the last 20 years like it's actually unwatchable to try to go back and look at them I mean yeah. it's painful it's truly painful so the thing these timeless movies it really does show you the power of visual effects um, which funny enough they remade the thing and just CGI'd a new of course they <laughs> did of course <laughs> they really did bad. totally unsurprising um fuck oh yeah I was just gonna say that I think the reason that i know i mean cgi is so good now that i literally felt like the planet earth style david attenborough take on the dinosaur mating and breeding all that like mm-hmm. it looked real to me i mean yeah. it was pretty hard to tell from the untrained eye that these these were all cgi you know but i mean they were implanted in like real nature settings but i don't even remember what the show was called
1: yeah apple tv something with dinosaurs
0: yeah it's really really good um and this kind of brings me to the topic of AI art. I, it's not really that good of a segue, but um, it just reminded me because we've been into AI art recently. We've been doing Midjourney, Mike. Um, I know Dolly is much better. I think it's more limited and a little more censored. But Journey is pretty good. I think the you know the thing that it's going to get really creepy is when we integrate deep fakes with animation of. AI art, and that's gonna just put us on a whole new plane of reality where it's like we're not gonna be able to tell what's happening anymore. Because it's like the way that news reacts to things now, the news cycle happens so quickly. Um, you know, like can be told before the truth puts on its shoes or whatever the fuck the, the phrases. But it's like you could put out like a deep fake of Biden, like an AI deep fake animation or some shit, and it would be like it would cause like a nuclear war. <laughs> it's like that's how quickly things could spread um but another aspect of ai art that was it's kind of a sad commentary is how it's going to just completely obliterate millions of jobs graphic artist jobs i mean even something as simple as like a a movie set you know like um in a lab like let's let's use that that as an example like blueprints behind someone on a table or something that you know used to take maybe days or weeks for a team of artists to render Fake blueprints of something. Um, but you could just literally do that in a second with uh, a prompt on AI. And so. um Yeah,
1: well, well, yeah. when So when we got our Mid Journey, so at Mid Journey was like limited. You could only use it if it was through invite and it's only on like Discord. And so when we first got it early on, there was only like 10,000 users that were using Mid Journey. And it was like, I gotta say, it was like one of the most exciting things to happen in a while. Like we literally spent five nights and like as soon as our kid went to sleep we just popped open our computers and we're just thinking of prompts and it was like five nights straight staying up till like 3 a.m. just playing with this technology like and it felt like it felt like riding on the first airplane it was like this is some new shit mm-hmm. that nobody has has used it's incredible the capacity and the potential for it and like we are the first people like playing with it
0: and seeing what it can do and it was just so exciting and cool and um, I mean, it's incredible. And like, for example, I mean, for people who haven't really dived into this or have only seen really like babyish versions of what people have rendered on like Twitter or something. I mean, like you could literally think of any scene, right? Like, for example, the Battle of Gettysburg done in like Dr. Seuss, <laughs> you know, I mean, the Frida Kahlo. Yeah, I did some um... Um, like Basquiat of like Mecca. Yeah, You know, like, like all of the, I mean, and then it just renders a million, you can just do unlimited renderings of different versions. And you could take one version that comes out good. Like I did Magritte with like a nuclear bomb blast and it was like fucking unbelievable. And then you just take whatever the best rendition of that is. And then you could just do infinite Continue numbers. upscaling it and the AI continues to refine It's absolutely it. fascinating. So, it really is going to change the world. In incredible ways. I mean, I'm I'm here to embrace it, you know. It it. I, but I also could see that it's going to get really crazy, especially when you bring in the whole deep fake technology with AI art and how just surreal things are. I mean, reality is just going to like fold in on itself even more than it already is.
1: And there's already companies that are now using it instead of graphic designers.
0: For yeah, yeah. Like, for example, I mean, Mike and I have been using some AI art for our podcast that we've been putting out for Empire Files because we we're not cutting a job you know like we don't have anyone doing the graphics (laughs) like and it's cool we can do you know like scotus like in hell and it's like this crazy rendition of just the scotus uh judges looking like fucking demons you know wearing these cloaks in like a burning inferno but um we're not like firing a graphic designer that used to do like original graphics for us like we just you know we're just fucking around on ai but i i noticed very quickly that after mid and dolly were out the atlantic you know bloomberg it's like everyone just immediately cut <laughs> whatever the the original graphic designers and cartoonists were for all of these uh publications they were just immediately fired because i just saw like for example just yesterday i saw the atlantic using like just a deformed ai five-second take of mm-hmm. Donald Trump looking, like, gross. Yeah, you can
1: tell when something is just, like, a one prompt and not, like, heavily refined. And, and it
0: was just, like... I mean, that, that's the thing, like, just churning like, graphic shit out. Just artists
1: so lazy. do have a leg up on it because to be able to make good AI art, you have to, like, develop the right key phrases and terms and, like, know about graphics and art and design to be able to put the right set of words together to get, like, a good result and how to, like, refine it. So designers definitely have an advantage when it comes to, like, doing AI art, but also, like, these companies are are probably also just gonna have like, an intern just type in totally. like, Trump looking evil into AI. And and
0: yeah, it, it was just great, it's gross, because you could just steal other people's prompts and just pretend like you thought of them and stuff, and so it is, like, easy to just replicate stuff that is good, but yeah, it's just so crazy to think that corporate media is just so hungry to just cut costs wherever they can, that they're just like, yes, like, finally, we don't have to, like, pay, you know, these extra funds to pay actual artists to do anything at all. Um, But I encourage people to check it out. If you can get an invite to mid journey, it's definitely worth, especially if you have a more creative mind, it's, you can definitely go down the rabbit hole and some really, really crazy stuff. Let's, uh, let's take a couple calls right now. This is kind of the midpoint in the show and people have been patiently waiting for a while. We'd love to hear what your dosed, Thoughts are, dosed moments for you, and whatever else you want to chime in with.
1: Nihal,
0: you're on the line.
1: Nihal, how are you doing? Where are you calling from? You are on mute. You got to press the little button that says unmute for us to hear you.
5: Nihal. Hey, can you hear me now? We We can can hear you. Hi. Okay, perfect. Amazing. Um, Yeah, I'm so glad I've been waiting for like a non-topic kind of episode to call in.
2: Cool. Um,
5: so I'm happy. I am calling actually from Vienna, uh, but I'm originally actually from Egypt. I am just here to do my master's. Um, I'm finishing up my thesis right now. Um, I, I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I think this is your, uh, this is Dost's own, um, like, I want a woman, I want a woman, but maybe not. Kind of woman. <laughs> <laughs> because i feel like my dose moments are actually uh quite sad but um or like a bit more serious and Mm -hmm. uh i know mike that you said at the beginning of the show that you wanted it to be a bit more light it's okay you have you have
0: our permission to share yeah Uh, you heard what i how i ruined the show from the get so no worries (laughs) yeah
5: yeah 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 Um, no. So, I mean, uh, I would like to preface this by, like, I actually have never done any drugs besides, like, you know, the most basic stuff, because I've always had, like, friends I could trust, and no access to drugs, or uh, good access to drugs, but no close friends I could trust. So I've never (laughs) done anything. So forgive me for for the vocabulary. Very responsible (laughs) approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm quite a responsible uh, young child. Um, but yeah, um, I feel like um, my ghost m- moments were kind of like delayed release, I would say. So there were two moments that I uh, think I could bring up for you. Um, my family, while I was growing up, had this uh, rental home um, at Rafah, uh, which is a city that is split in between... Um, Gaza and Mm -hmm. uh, Egypt, Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember this was at the time when Egypt was not at this extremely terrible moment that we are in right now, Um, and we still got news uh, that was sympathetic to the Palestinians uh, and the Palestinian struggle and the Palestinian uh, people, even uh, despite the bias and everything. And so I was kind of inundated uh, in a good way um, with these um, uh, news. And then uh, I remember being seven or eight and then going to uh, this uh, rental house with my parents and knowing that this is so close to uh, Gaza and uh, Palestine. And I don't want any Palestinians listening to me to feel like I'm anyway adopting the fear and. Um, anger and anything that they feel, but think of this as like kind of in an eight-year-old's mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like covering, like hovering down and covering my head with my arms uh, because I thought that we were going to be bombed down, you know. Because I also knew that uh, Sinai was uh, occupied by the Israelis, mm-hmm. and you can, at the time, you can still see Hebrew uh, signage and everything. And um, I would say it's de- delayed response because it really came back to me at a later time uh, when I was like, oh, if this is what I felt when it was like a fake threat, I would imagine any eight-year-old who's um, living through that uh, to be horrific. And, though, and then I started organizing for Palestine without getting too much detail. And then the next time I was kind of microdosed with delayed re- uh, <laughs> was kind of like uh, of course the 2011 uprising uh kind of opened up the political mm. space a little bit and i was uh, as you would say like just a liberal and then looking back at it and I, I i would have to interject here and say that i'm really really grateful for you guys and like um a lot of people that i'm listening to because here in vienna i'm I I kind of relate to the previous listener because I'm living with a lot of people who are like placated, uh, um, middle-class, eco, um, anti-capitalist, but nothing anti-empire. So listening to you while going to my minimum wage job uh, has helped soothe this kind of alienation a little bit. Um,
0: That's amazing. But I would
5: say that, (laughs) thank you. Um, But I would say that, uh, you know, looking back at the 2011 uprising, uh, and from the lens of uh, the geopolitics, of course, it was going to fail. Of course, this was the the outcome. Um, And I I really, I really feel that uh, Egypt is kind of missing from these kinds of conversations. And I really do appreciate everyone's. Hard work, but I, I really feel that this perspective is kind of missing because Egypt is witnessing uh, one of one of its most terrible terrible moments, and uh, beyond even having like this evil puppet uh, dictator or whatever the destruction ecologically so, uh, sociologically and politically that is happening there is going to even if this person dies and <laughs> is dead in the ground, um, is going to continue for generations and generations. And, um, yeah, I, I, these, these were kind of my moments of being dosed and I, am really sorry I've been rambling on for, for quite some time.
1: No, no, it's really interesting stuff. I mean, I think the one of the things that that hit me the most is the, your experience being eight and, you know, thinking you were coming under aerosol, you know, when it, when it wasn't, but like it, just as an eight-year-old, like knowing what war is and like feeling like you are close to it and could be in danger of it. Like that in itself is like wild. Like eight years old is extremely young. Like why should anyone who's that age even be aware of the fact that, that this is something that, that happens. It's kind of like a disturbing reality, you know? I mean, this is something that like we confront as parents is like, you know, how do we shelter, the the hyper gun pro-military like hyper violent culture that america has like how long can you really like shield them from that and like prevent that kind of like indoctrination and that's like a completely different thing because it's like the externalizers of it the projectors of it the ones that like send the bombs and stuff and like what kind of culture that forms in american society around that like kind of machine but then to think of all the children, this you know, same age as our child, like who are on the like receiving end and like their consciousness and a culture organized around like being under attack and having to, to worry about bombs and things like that. It's just like on both ends, it's just really kind of sick and wild and like, not, you know, not something that should be a, a status quo type thing.
0: Yeah. I just wanted um, to yeah. add that. Um, I mean, I was looking at like this visualization of Palestine, especially children in Gaza. And it's like, if you were born in the year 2007 you're not only born a refugee but you're born under a blockade the next year is the horrific you know 2008 assault um four years later is the second war you're age five you know age seven two years later you have the third war 2014 four years later age 11 the great march of return right and then here we are two years later three years later it's another war so it's like there's no post-traumatic because it's just a constant state of trauma and it's just chronic and intergenerational um and it's just something that's really hard to even assess of what kind of damage this is doing to children but i i wanted to just say something about what you said about egypt and i totally agree it does seem i guess it seems kind of hard to even address because of it, it was so demoralizing like i i'll never forget and i can't even imagine as someone who's egyptian who has family there and who was there when the uprising happened but just ho- how horrific those images were of like the this huge monumental shift revolutionary zeitgeist and then just the repression um the violent brutal deadly repression against protesters off that bridge that horrific video that you know it was just really really devastating and then just what cc has done i mean just the purges um mass sentencing hundreds of people to de- to death i think i mean protesters yeah. and also the supporters of Mohammed morzi so it's been it's been really like a lot and i don't even really know how to address it because it's just, it is very demoralizing thinking of what could have been and then what has happened since and how it all fits into the geopolitics of empire today.
5: Mm -hmm. I mean, I I would actually like to say that actually, uh, I I don't know uh, what day you guys are in, but uh, 14th of August, which is today for me, at least for uh, one more hour um, is the um, anniversary for lack of better words of the Rabaa massacre. Um, which occurred uh, of basically cordoning off uh, like Muslim Brotherhood, quote unquote, supporters and basically massacring them en masse, thousands and Jesus. thousands. Um, and it was actually like two streets down from my house, and I remember seeing the smoke and hearing the uh, the screams. But I'm kind of really defe- personally defeated about it um, because I am seeing like. There are now uh, uh, almost uh, 60,000 uh, political prisoners uh, in jail. Jeez. And a lot of them are on hunger strike. and mm-hmm. uh, some of them, you know, have dual citizenship and per Egyptian law, they are allowed to um, you know, rescind the Egyptian citizenship and then be remitted or like gone to um, the other um, country they belong to, or, yeah, they're yeah. a national, uh, whatever, a citizen of. Um, but we're seeing this really hard-headedness, and people on the ground are really, uh, or, like, people on the ground who are not really taking, or, like, uh, do not, basically, frankly, have the time to take in geopolitical considerations, um, are really confused. It's so easy for, for a regime that has, basically, legitimized itself to let go of these, like, you know, uh, few people, and uh, go on with its day. But um, the Egyptian regime does not have to do it, because it has uh, the legitimation of the U.S. regime, it has the legitimation of the EU, Uh, it is uh, central to uh, the EU kind of relief package uh, for uh, getting uh, gas out of uh, Israel, uh, instead of the Russian gas. so there is no need for Egypt to even pretend to uh, care about human rights anymore um, to, mm-hmm. in front of Biden yep. or on whatever. I don't know how it That's uh,
0: right. It, it's <laughs> a really good point, and I'm really happy you brought it up because you're completely right. I can't remember the last time I heard of any human rights situation in, in Egypt. That's how absent it is from uh, the entire mm-hmm. Western media apparatus, and it it really is a stark stark dichotomy from so-called US adversaries. And it's just so shocking. I think when you talk about the delegitimization of the government internally, that that's hugely optimistic, because when you have that many political prisoners and that many purges happening over and over again, everyone at that point knows someone who's been either killed or imprisoned or is repressed um, for their political views. And that that is that has a huge impact. And, and as life continues to degradate for the, you know, working class, at some point, people are going to have to ask, was it worth it? And, you know, I think that that does cause a lot of optimism for what, where Egypt can go. Um, but at the same time, like you said, when it's propped up by the U.S., it, it has to come back to us changing our society because as long as these repressive states are emboldened and subsidized and you know propped up essentially by um western powers it's it's going to be really hard for internal changes to happen and we all know what happened after well that was a situation with the uprising it was waiting until the
1: u.s was like okay mubarak should go and it was like like, yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah, totally it was like we were all waiting to be like wait a minute like what is obama going to do and then he was just like all right you should stay and then yeah we were ben like what the fuck he
1: realized he couldn't but, um, um
0: nihal, yeah like at first it was just like all right like we're really gonna do this okay
1: yeah, but um no one should forget that obama tried to keep him in at the beginning but anyways nihal thank you so much for your call wish you had more time gonna get to the
0: next caller uh thanks again for really calling and good luck working on your thesis thanks so much nihal we definitely will be covering this in the future little miss sunshine little miss sunshine on the line, where are you calling from?
6: Oh, here I am. All right, figured it out. <laughs> hey, uh, hey uh, yeah, uh, I'm calling from so-called Eugene, Oregon, in the nice. Imperial Forest.
0: we were just there. Not Beautiful place.
6: It's a special little spot, yeah. Um, it's a very strange town. Uh, I like <laughs> it, though. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted to call in, and, wow, yeah, I really liked the last two callers. It's cool that Palestine and political prisoners like are being discussed by the other people too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I wanted to call in and talk about how writing to people in prison and like having a, a friendship with people in prison has dosed me. Um, and yeah, I'm glad to be talking with you all. I've been mm-hmm. listening to uh, Mike and Abby from the break. It was, you know, breaking the set days and yeah old school cool to be chatting uh old
0: school well i appreciate you following us for that long because as we were saying before it seems like a lot of people have dropped off a lot of new new heads in the media space so it's cool to have some ogs
6: (laughs) on deck it's and wow (laughs) it's and i was thinking about um how it's been such an international like people calling from all over the the world mm-hmm. um to talk with you uh, love it but yeah writing to prisoners um it'll change your life uh, i'm definitely it it makes me i think about it daily you know does that make sense like
0: talk about yeah talk about how that started for you what dosed you on kind of the prison industrial complex and why did you start doing that because i totally agree i've been wanting to kind of like host like a uh writing workshop to you know people like daniel hail and stuff like that um because i know uh-huh. that that means the world i mean it really oh does, yeah. is, you know and so talk about talk about how you started doing that and who you who are you writing to
6: um uh i have we wrote uh, like um to chelsea manning you know really a long time ago so i wrote to political to prison like to political prisoners then and then started writing to other just people in prison like there's pen pal websites um that you can just write to just re- literally anyone and i've talked to some people that way um uh rasheed kevin johnson Rashid, who's um part of the revolutionary intercommunal black panther party um minister of defense if you go to his website he he's um an amazing person to write to there's just so many just literally writing anybody is is gonna um make it very apparent how uh how bad prisons are and and that they must be abolished um is what i've come to conclude you know decided
1: (laughs) do you recommend any because i know there's a few like non there's lots of stuff that like help facilitate yeah right and there's Mm -hmm. ones that are just like general prison population Is there one that you use or
6: um there's a the first list that comes to mind is um political prisoners who uh are serving who are in prison um for because they were arrested during the times of the 2020 um george floyd rebellion Mm. um so that one comes to mind and then yeah there's a oh the anarchist black cross has a updated political prisoner guide and it has like basic do's and don'ts even and like just general information about how to write to prisoners um but they and they and that um you can go through that list by like different movements basically oh yeah sorry my partner said the new york anarchist black cross political prisoner guide that That one's cool
1: yeah you know i'm really happy you brought this up because it's first of all there's like a an older generation of political prisoners that are still in prison and there's a new mm-hmm. generation of political prisoners mm-hmm. so the old generation primarily is people from the black freedom movement um yeah. who were rounded up in cointelpro i mean that was really like you know when people like criticize like oh what happened to like the movement of like the 60s it's like they all got ar- fucking arrested and are in prison um and a lot of them are still in prison there's actually a campaign that uh, we are endorsers of um, to free Rochelle McGee. Um, you can of look course. up free It's R-U-C-H-E-L-L-M-A-G-E-E. He's the longest held political prisoner in the United States because like he is now 83 and I think he was first he's arrested so when he was like sad. 15 or something. It's been almost 60 years of him in prison, but he's just one of many like black liberation fighters who have just been in jail for this entire time. And then a lot of and a lot of those people, they spend like years if not decades in actual solitary because that's like the kind of um just unequal treatment that they get even in prison and so Mm -hmm. it's just the the help that it gives to write people letters is, is huge but the an interesting fact for everyone is so it used to be like black liberation fighters were like the number one most held political prisoner like if you counted up the political prisoners the largest percentage would be people from the black freedom movement today environmental the large, activists, environmental activists yeah. it is the largest uh sector of political prisoners in the u.s prison system I,
0: there has to be a database of environmental political prisoners i just saw actually yesterday i sent it to you mike because we want to incorporate this for our film of course that everyone who's actually fighting to save the environment is getting just routinely you know rounded up and di- arrested and put in
6: yeah jessica resniak just had her exactly rear. yep
0: and example yeah, right no dapple
6: uh, i think it was related but different
1: okay it was a pipeline
0: thing pipeline yeah she just thing.
1: got eight years correct
0: fucking insane
1: insane and for like uh chaining yourself to a pipe or something or yeah damaging some equipment or yeah, whatever. right
0: right yep no it's just it's just horrific the people who are putting them, their bodies on the line, which is exactly what needs to be done, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, putting, getting put in prison for 10 years. Um, yeah, it's meant to send a chilling
1: effect. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, exactly, it yeah. does not, the punishment does not fit that. You know, say you like, uh, you know, uh, destroy some construction equipment that's building a pipeline. It's like, yeah, you know, like, you know, you know, you're committing a crime, you know, you know, there's going to be a consequence that comes with that. You know, it's, uh, what does it cost? Like, uh, oh, you you uh, destroyed a, a backhoe that's building a pipeline like ah you know that's probably like you know 30 grand or something to replace uh it doesn't you know eight years in prison or years in prison is just uh, it's meant to send a chilling effect it's not in any way the kind of risk that should be associated with doing that kind of activity it's pretty pretty bad because they know their work because like as the climate crisis just continues to be unresolved they know more and more people will be looking to do the things that are necessary to kind of force the hand of the government and they're so they're kind of preemptively it's kind of like with the Israel BDS stuff of preemptively mm-hmm. making this stuff illegal it's because they it's not that it's a huge problem for them now. They know that it has the potential to become a bigger problem. And so they're trying to get ahead of it and bring the repression
0: before there's actually a a mass movement of it.
6: Which is why it's so important to write to prisoners.
0: Yes. 100%. 100%. Thank you so much for bringing that up. We'll uh, we'll look into the database for the environmental and political prisoners and put that out there. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you so much for... For calling what's in your and, name and, yeah what okay. was your name
6: again coral i from, yeah.
0: Coral yeah
1: from coral. eugene
6: oregon um yeah jailhouse lawyers speak also has a ton of great information for people who want to find out more about uh the struggle for people who are in behind the state wall you know in prison um cool Thanks. Really, Have a great
1: night, yeah, for you. Really positive thing you brought to the show. We really Thank hope you, it Carl. inspires some <laughs> of the listeners to uh, find a random person to start writing to, incarcerated, political prisoner or not. Everyone needs the support. Um, yeah, and th- thanks for bringing that to DoST. And hope you call in
0: again another time. Enjoy, Eugene. Uh yeah, we love it. We're there, in the man. hellscape of. We got some oxygen you some out there right now. Yeah, want give us some of your oxygen. <laughs> thanks, Coral. Appreciate you.
1: Uh, low-key you're on the line
0: speaking of Loki, there's a second season of low-key that was a cool show that was the, a really uh, good show actually the
1: dp on that show is extremely talented it's a woman who did all the photography director of photography she, she did really great um she's also the dp of the new black panther movie that's coming out no sure so you know it's going to be good anyway it's low-key you're still muted hello
0: low-key if you call back you, hello, good morning.
7: Yes, Loki, what's up, dude? <laughs> oh, I, was, I just
0: was doing the boot music or a sound effect. No, <laughs> you're
7: on. Hey, what's, what's up, up, man? Oh, thanks. Um, uh, not much. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. You're my favorite celebrity for people with critical thinking.
2: Oh, <laughs> yeah.
7: I appreciate this app. It gives me a little bit of hope for freedom of speech and productive discourse and all that.
0: Yeah, it's so, a cool app. It's cool to hear from people everywhere that can join us live, and we never really interact with our audience. So it's pretty, pretty awesome, man. Thanks yeah, for participating.
7: Yeah, and thank, thank you for hosting. So I guess me personally, uh, I'll go in order. With life, I guess, life has dosed me in many different, many different ways. Just like paradigm shifts, and constantly thinking that you know, yeah, just like your old old way of your old way of, uh, thinking that, you know, actually functioned at the time doesn't function anymore, you know, but it does, it keeps happening more and more, uh, these days because of how fast things move. What's, but, um, the,
0: what's one of the ones that stands out the most?
7: Uh, the main ones I would say are living in different places uh, conflicts and confrontations, you know, certain plants, you know, that teach you stuff, and uh, friends that have had experiences with like really hard, like you know, some something hardcore or like a, a hardship or you know, war or something, and they made it through somehow. And even if they barely make it through, they have they have something truthful to say to you that kind of cuts through the bullshit, you know. Totally. Totally. So I, mine, my friend. Uh, I was I was just writing things as they came up to my head, and um, one subject I could go for is like the historical context of Israel, climate solutions. Oh, and also something for um about being dosed. I would I would say it's kind of akin to like a, like a revolution. Revelation or, a, or an enlightenment, but people also have to be aware of uh, what do you call it? Like false revelations, like people just kind of mm. blowing smoke up your ass to make you feel good or telling you what you want to hear. And it's just like, you know, you, yeah, people confuse feeling good with like, oh, this must be, you know, right or something, you know what I mean? So be
0: aware of the false prophets. No, I mean, an it's a point. It is a good point, and, you know, people. I think one of the biggest complaints about Empire Files... Well, I don't know if it's a complaint, but it's like it is very dark, you know, and and it can be heavy. But at the same time, it's like I I personally feel like I am very enlightened learning what the truth is without rose-colored glasses. And it makes me... It it gives me instruction about how to navigate the world, right? And how to act Mm -hmm. accordingly. So... Yeah, we don't like to tiptoe around things. We like to tell it like it is, straight shot of truth injection. But well, your, well, your point is, is that there's also a lot of like, you know, people thinking they're do-
1: getting dosed, but it's just completely fake. And there's oh, just right, obviously right. a huge, oh, huge yeah, yeah, market yeah. for yeah. that in the United yeah. States. It's really effective. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's why like Alex Jones makes a quarter million dollars per day of broadcasting. That's what came out in his trial recently. It's it's two hundred fifty thousand per day on uh, about on average. So. You know, obviously there's a massive market for just telling people complete bullshit and making them think that they've been enlightened or had a real revelation.
7: Actually, yeah, I, I see, see the problem now. You, you guys don't don't scream into your microphone enough. Not. <laughs> Listen here! <laughs> How dare you!
4: Oh, that was pretty you. deep. That was a good Thank Alex you. Jones impression. I can keep you. going.
0: No, it's crazy. I mean, especially as people like distrust institutions more and more as things unravel, it's like the false prophets and the people who say that they have the truth and all that. It's like, just, it becomes a huge cottage cheese industry and it's yeah. becoming but more, there's and like more a, popular,
7: there's, you know, for sure. There's an aspect to that though, that people don't, they, they tend to either ignore or like to not even notice in the first place. And it's that, you know, you know, A lot of these people even start out kind of you know honest and like with some some kind of integrity and then they get they get swallowed up by the different industries or sometimes you just you start a project and it takes a life of its own and like you at first it was your project but now your project takes you along for the ride and you got to kind of do what it wants in a way you know your work takes you over yeah, just, you're totally
0: so, right,
1: man. We hear you, low-key. and your point on the—you brought up climate solutions. That's definitely something that we have saved for towards the end of the show. So stick around because we're gonna mm-hmm. dose you on some yeah, really some wild climate I mean, facts could. that we just did. Because we, um, the thing is, we're our line is blowing up right now. We got um, like ten callers waiting to go. So wait, maybe oh.
8: what's up, my dudes? I've got some Brady, Brady. Good mate. doses, good doses for you guys today. So um, fucking, Heron, where are you calling dude? from again? I'm calling from Texas, you know. Oh, that's right. right The Heart of the Beast. And I was going to mention that it seems like our culture is in a bit of decline. Y'all mentioned that, like, nothing is good on Netflix. There's no good (laughs) non you know. There's no good fiction, really. And I've kind of switched over to documentaries. Documentaries Mm -hmm. are totally my new form of entertainment, you know. And one that I would highly recommend for you guys, um, back when you were making the Breaking the Set, Um, I was trying to get a hold of you so you could interview Dr. Michael Persinger, who is this scientist who's kind of scientifically validated psychic phenomenon. You're probably familiar with his God helmet, the little football helmet that people put on and, like, experience a presence in the room. Um, He's the scientist that created this. And um, so he's passed away since then. But there is a guy who runs a museum called the Museum of Tarot. And I'm going to post his TikTok to the comments right now so you guys can get this down. Everybody can check him out. This guy will absolutely blow your mind. I'm sure he's happy to talk to you. It would make one of the most interesting episodes, I think, ever. And so, very happy to pass his. I don't know his name, actually. But happy to pass his TikTok on to you, at least. Can Hopefully you, we can track can you
0: follow up and actually email dosedshow at gmail.com with some more of yeah. that info? I'd love to check it out in case I uh, I miss
8: this Dosed. chat. Dost Dosed Show. Dosed show. I'm, uh, I'm looking up the, God, the God Helmet switch. right now. Yeah, Dr. Michael Persinger. And specifically, Dr. Michael Persinger has a lecture called No More Secrets. No uh-huh, More Secrets. Yeah, it's like an hour long, it's absolutely going. I'm watching, I'm watching someone wearing the God
9: helmet. Reproduced every aspect of the God experience, every essence, every component of it, from the rising sensation, to the feelings of ecstasy, to the feelings of... You can
8: actually create your very own God helmet for like $30. With parts of Home Depot Damn. and, like, Arduino. <laughs> with
0: tinfoil on your head and I'm just joking. Actually, Damn. there's a
8: cap and this, like, uh, coil that goes around your head. It looks like a mushroom cap when you put it on. And, um, Have you done it? I'm, at, I'm going to be uh, hosting an art class at the local art gallery, and we're going to be making them as a community and trying them out, yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, hell yeah, dude.
8: And he also go. has oh, a device that emits the Schumann residence of the planet Earth. It's supposed to negate a lot of electromagnetic pollution that stresses us out so much. And just a couple of more names to drop before I did. Um, Brian Muderowski wrote, wrote a new book called The Immortality Key. I don't know if y'all are familiar with this yet. It's all about the psychedelic origins of Christianity and not just Christianity. Oh, like the
0: got Jesus is a mushroom type stuff?
8: It's along those lines, but he's uh, a Jesuit scholar, and the Vatican specially opened up the archives to him to get some of this information for the first time. Basically, the Jesuits instructed him to write this book, and they allowed him access to the Vatican archives. Uh, Some of the material that you know we've been trying to get our hands on for years just recently came out in this book. So interesting. It's called The Immortality Key, The Secret Religion With No Name. Secret History of the Religion with No Name, something like that. S-
0: sounds like a r- more accurate version of the Da Vinci Code, which I was really into when
8: I was little, <laughs> but um, like um, no, no, right? and Yeah, it's amazing. You would absolutely love the book. So cool.
0: Damn.
8: He would we be a really done. cool person to interview. Excellent. And finally, Whitney Webb. Just wondering if y'all have ever interviewed Whitney Webb. She just came out with the new One Nation Under Blackmail Epstein series
0: a book or i know she was working on a book did she did she release uh yeah yeah she study? just dropped it, it was, it's a two-part oh, she series did?
8: yeah two-part book series because it was so big she did it in like two oh two wow books.
0: that's yeah. interesting yeah i mean she's a she's a wealth of knowledge she's encyclopedic um we have interviewed her several times on media roots radio Ooh, cool! about the epstein that's stuff that. really early on actually but um yeah her her knowledge of Epstein is so intricate and actually far more encompassing than anyone else I've ever heard because she really goes into the intelligence ties that people are kind of picking up on years later. So um really good Likewise. point dude I would love to talk to her about Epstein. Dude, Brady email us follow us, follow up with all that shit because I want to um yeah. I want to read that and, uh, uh, show at gmail.com, dude.
8: Make sure that you guys run Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump as a template for AI art. <laughs> it's really oh. <laughs> as well as DMT, when you run DMT through the uh, template, oh, it comes i out with was, some beautiful
1: uh, Oh, yeah. I was doing um, Polaroid photographs of first person view of DMT trip, and I got some really cool
0: yeah, portal. Polaroids wow, out of it. It was cool. pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. First, first should, person um,
1: Polaroid. I should post them somewhere. I got a whole library of awesome shit that is just one has seen.
0: Yeah, one dose. Brady, thank you so much. Colin again, dude. I wanted to just, before we move on to Ryan, um, one really interesting thing about the Epstein case that is a pretty bizarre dosed fact is are the paintings that he had in his several homes. You know, one of them was Clinton in the blue dress with the cum on it. Um, really bizarre shit that he would have a painting of like the blue dress of the Monica Lewinsky dress. But here's even a weirder dose thing that I'm sure some Epstein heads already know. But there was also a painting of George Bush sitting like a baby. W george w baby baby bush sitting like a little baby with the two twin towers made out of baby blocks and holding like a paper airplane like throwing one through one of the tower blocks so you tell me what the fuck is going on there and why the fuck epstein would have that shit on his wall
1: <laughs> ryan welcome hey. to the show where are you calling from and like your Abby. Um, is, that, is that Chavez
0: as a young...
1: Yeah, yeah, that's Chavez. Um, <laughs> that's who
4: dosed me on socialism. Yeah, that, was sure. my, that was my yeah. gateway. Oh, Ruby. Sorry. Um, cool. Yeah, it's actually kind of one thing I was going to talk about with my dose experience, but I'm calling from um, Springfield, Missouri. Um, oh. And I wanted to thank you all for um, doing that uh, Q&A at the theater with the uh, Gaza Fights for Freedom. I was a uh, one in of Missouri. Yeah, I mean, probably remotely. Oh, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, yeah you I did know, it remotely. Yeah, it was great, and I hope we can get you for the next one. Um, for the next film,
1: 100%. oh, you were involved in organizing it, hundred percent.
4: Yeah, yeah, I actually know cool. somebody who came to that showing who specifically cited you, Mike, for um, saying after he went to boot camp why he couldn't go through with the military. Your speech where um, it was going, and you were in front of Capitol Hill or. The White House.
1: Oh wait, so he was in the army and he just and he quit after boot camp.
4: Yeah, oh, yeah. He, awesome. he went through boot camp and he saw your video and he was like, "I uh, I can't go through with this." Wow, so that's amazing,
0: that's super
4: dude. cool. To hear. Uh, yeah, thank you all for your work. I mean, being a communist here in Springfield since 2015, it's kind of kind of hard living right next to the Assembly of God World Headquarters, and y'all help keep me sane. But um, you live, live mad near, god.
1: Do you live near the Ozarks by any chance?
4: Yep, I'm in the heart of it. That's so. Where is that in. like
1: a is that like a not fun place to be because it's like a really like right wing party spot or what? Is that is it cool? Yeah. It looks cool
4: on in, in
1: pictures. But
4: what's it? Oh, really it's like? beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful here. But um, yeah, it's heavily white too. Where it's like 94 percent white, one of the most modulously white places in the city. There's a lot of things. Um, that was the reason for that. A lot of but, what? A lot of lynchings. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Really interesting book about it called White Man's Heaven, um, where basically a lot of uh, groups and a lot of fraternities, actually, for some of the private schools here, like Drury University, um, were really responsible for a lot of that. And from, like, here to Fayetteville, Arkansas, they were trying to make it a pure white place. But I'm going to move on to um, my dose story. I actually went to Venezuela in uh, 2020. And um, it was it was a really amazing experience. We got the tour in a way that um, was incredibly unique. But um, viewing some of the apartment complexes, we got to view some ones that were freshly built and the people who had built them who were living there. You know, they were very proud to like show us around and to see their apartments, which were honestly nicer than my house. Mm-hmm. And um, I was being guided by these eight-year-old kids and just seeing them and talking to them you know you really realize that it's if bombs were to fall that it'd be these kids who are affected and i'm you know we've been seeing that with gaza too and that's been a big theme that we're talking about here but yeah i just wanted to share that say that i've been a huge fan of your work and um thanks for taking my call
0: ryan that is a really cool story that I can relate to too, because we were in Venezuela, Venezuela back in what, 2017. 2017, And we saw the new housing projects that were built. um, The, what was it? The, so yeah just so the background Millions for people homes. who don't
1: know part of uh chavez's presidency was building homes for the poor they've reached a big accomplishment of i think it's 2.2 million housing units have been built for poor people and we actually went to one of the opening ceremonies probably similar to what you did ryan where they the building had just opened they were actually handing out the keys to the people who would live in them um and you're right like the units were were very nice apartments very very nice apartments um Yeah, so go ahead,
0: Abby. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say it really dosed me too because it's like you just hear the complete opposite narrative, you know, and I was, like, terrified to go there before I went, and I was just like, oh, like, literally everything is just a lie. Um, I don't know why I was surprised, (laughs) but it's like it's still – you still get affected even though – even if you're, like, a media critic and you understand that you're lied to about all these countries and stuff, it still really sometimes takes going there and seeing all the facets of society and how – uh, how it really is reality turned on its head of what you've been told your whole life. And the housing the housing projects were definitely one aspect of that to, to go through and just see the investment in the poor, you know, with the CLAP program and the housing units, especially being in the epicenter of homelessness in the U.S. is a pretty stark contrast. Yeah,
1: and, you know, Venezuela's population is like 27 million. So, you know, 2.5 million homes is a, you know, significant Chunk of the population, and it's it's still ongoing. I mean, they're building tons all the time. But yeah, it shows what you can do with social investment. You know, because that's just investing in your society instead of just you know giving it to, as subsidies to Amazon or some shit. <laughs> Paying Amazon to
0: come set up,
2: yeah, business, right?
1: So like, no, literally, not the like- segue to something else, Ryan. But um actually, Abby, you were just telling us yesterday that like, not only does Amazon pay no taxes, but they get like paid. They get paid. The government
0: actually gives these corporations billions of dollars in subsidies to come move to the city. They paid them. It's not just that they don't charge them taxes. They literally paid them to set up, shop, and destroy cities.
1: And I think the reason this came up is because, Abby, we were talking about the climate solutions thing so there's this book called climate solutions beyond capitalism by tina landis abby just interviewed her yesterday for the climate documentary that we're working on it has a lot of really mind-blowing facts in it about like what's possible and i think one of the things that you brought up is that it's it's the all the infrastructure that's needed in the u.s to like just go completely to renewables get off fossil fuels all that stuff it can be paid for completely by just taxing the big corporations like making them pay some kind of taxes because right now they pay zero and just making them pay like some modicum of taxes will more than pay for like the infrastructure projects that we need
0: yeah let's take a little break here and just go over this climate stuff really quick before we get to gabriel um because it is a really good segue from what ryan was just talking about about social investment and how it can really dose you to learn little things that can be pivoted away from how our economy is structured could just cause transformational things in society. I mean, really mind-blowing transformation that you can't even wrap your mind around. That's possible right now because of the way everything's structured. And this is this is one of those things. I mean, the fact that you know the government constantly is bemoaning we can't afford this, we can't afford that, while spending hundreds of billions of dollars to just send weapons to Ukraine. Meanwhile, only spending, you know, pledging like 365 million billion, excuse me, dollars for this climate package for the next 10 years. It's like that is a ridiculous pittance for what needs to be spent. And the thing is, we're not even talking about like just printing money right at the Federal Reserve or whatever, or changing the whole tax bracket system for the wealthiest 1%, which I think that we should, we should obviously go back to how it was and do that. <laughs> but what's crazy is that giant corporations, the biggest corporations on the planet pay no taxes. Somehow. Really, and really quickly, an example
1: of like spending. Mm-hmm. So the just one government, like they're talking about military spending, mm-hmm. there's one weapons program, the F-35 jet. It's made by Lockheed Martin. It's uh, the biggest DOD expenditure to date. Uh, currently, the DOD has invested 1.7 trillion dollars for this next generation f-35 aircraft so that on its own is like just a horrific waste of resources just to have some fucking cool New jet generation. like she's on the on guess what the f-35 doesn't work it's complete it's a complete flopped just bunk piece of technology that they cannot get to work so they got to dump some more of our taxpayer dollars into it I think a mat like the talking about like housing units, like what Venezuela is able to accomplish, building that many housing units, like that two million housing units definitely didn't cost one point seven trillion dollars. I mean that's like no, that's insane. an unbelievable nice. I mean just try to write right try to write that number on a piece of paper and see what it looks like. But anyways, can No,
0: I mean that no, it's a good point because it shows you that they just have to keep producing the next generation of all the this military equipment every single year. It's just like generational upgrades um, because they have to keep breaking in the profits and so it's like it's not good enough to just have you know to be selling the existing weapons you know that they have to keep buying new weapons and giving the incentives and subsidies to the defense industry to create the next gen models for no reason no fucking reason at all so the f-35 is a perfect example of just how absurd this the extremity of this logic can go to it's just beyond Comprehension, really, Mike. Why don't you just really quickly talk about what's in the this so-called revolutionary climate bill that I heard Reverend Al Sharpton praising as like the most advanced climate legislation in the history of humanity?
1: Um, I will. Okay, I, I just remembered something trippy. I don't yeah. think you know about this. Can I Dose about me. It? So, so do you remember a book called The Butter Battle Book when you were a kid? Sounds like a child's book. It's by Dr. Seuss. Wait, let's buy it and look it up right now a butter it's a battle beetle it's and about a like a beetle. weapons arms race
0: oh what
1: Where like these was two Dr. Seuss, uh, societies ghost apparently he was i just it's crazy i remember reading it like i remember my mom reading me this book when i was like Four or five, like really it's, an it's an like anti- one
0: more story how it's one of hell? my first
1: memories it's oh this book where it's like these two sides on the wall they just keep creating bigger and bigger weapons and like to outdo each other, and then they eventually both have these like little balls that will just basically their nuclear weapons will just destroy the other side and they're both just standing there faced off like holding the two little balls yeah and it's like no one everyone knows about the Lorax and it's like this good climate Dr. Seuss book but nobody fucking talks about the butter battle what happened to the butter battle book and the whole thing is it's all they're all fighting over like should you butter your bread on the top or the bottom which is you know of course not let's adapt
0: this into a screenplay for a children's movie screw the Lorax this is this is the new one baby and you can I mean you can look at Let's I, mean, bring I just googled back it I'm looking at all the pages right apocalypse. now
1: it's, it's nuts it's okay. incredible buy it buy it right now what a now. good go
0: to Amazon what a good no, book the Butter Battle
1: book but they erased it they tried to erase just this kidding. book we... they just promote the I mean the Lorax is good you know it's, it's a good
0: to have an environmental book even this though they're se- like this seems a little bit I think more at the end speed. of the Lorax
1: it's like Everything got fixed, and now you right. just have to do your part to keep it fixed. I think at the end of the Butter Battle book, it's Everyone just two dies. guys standing there with, like, nuclear weapons in their hands, like, facing off. And you like, "Okay, hey, this is the rest of our life. is just facing off with nuclear weapons. And that brings us back to Mad God, which is our main topic today, is that, like, of all the weird— everything is just, like, this nightmarish, surreal, came out of this guy's, like, crazy imagination. Like, none of it bears any resemblance to the real world. But the only thing that you see in that film— that is like from our actual world is like nuclear weapons that you see a couple times in it. Anyways, go, go ahead. Sorry for that tangent. I know it's really, the water it's actually
0: really good, and I want to buy it um, now. Let's close out the show and go get this at our local bookstore. But um, my, they don't have it. They it's censored, banned, book. It was burned. Um, culture war, baby. CRT. CRT eliminated the butter (laughs) battle book. Uh, Mike, quickly talk about what's in Biden's groundbreaking climate legislation. I've been hearing liberals ad nauseum just praising as the most fucking advanced climate bill ever. It's going to save the goddamn world, guys. Talk about what's quickly in it. And then we're going to talk about what actually could be happening with the resources we have.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the the praise is like people are calling it you know, the most, the most historic climate legislation, um, which is actually true. It is history's largest U.S. investment in renewable energy. And this is part of the Inflation Reduction Act, and we were able to put this, like, climate stuff in it or whatever. Um, and so, yes, it is a historic for the U.S. Bill for the U.S. Uh, the but US that's saying so a lot, yeah. and it's not good. Um, even Adam McKay, who did uh, Don't Look Up, you know, that film, uh, that really cool Leonardo DiCaprio film about society not accepting that a meteor's coming. He called it, uh, quote, empty theater. So he hated it. So even, like, people who are in that world of, like, mainstream democratic climate stuff were just like, this is insane. Um, So I guess the reason it's... So there is all these, like, investments in renewables or whatever, but it also includes... Uh, huge giveaways to the fossil fuel industry and opens up all this other new land to the fossil fuel energy. So like one uh, article put it, uh, quote, the climate movement's most high profile campaign of the past decade has just been handed a decisive defeat inside a piece of climate legislation. So it's like, it is like, okay, there is this big accomplishment of getting some kind of investment in renewables, but it was inside this larger defeat of of like and the, the fossil fuel thing okay so the fossil fuel thing is new investment in fossil fuels the international energy agency last year just last year warned that there can be no new investments in oil gas and coal from this point on as in last year and if we're going to reach net zero by 2050 which is like even not enough to reach net zero by 2050 so no new investments in oil gas and coal from this point on which was 1 year ago that was the 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 serious warning since that warning biden has approved more drilling permits in the like 1 year than donald trump did in his entire term so that warning is not being heeded and this new you know so-called climate legislation opens up massive massive amounts of drilling permits, all that stuff. Um and you even were saying that like the um that even the investment that there is for renewables,
0: it's contingent upon the fossil fuel industry getting a certain number like what was that. Yeah, so the bill greatly expands oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico and the Arctic, which are already pretty fragile habitats that have incurred pretty devastating outcomes of either climate change or oil drilling, like the BP oil spill. But basically these are expanded and here's the crazy thing offshore wind lease sales can only come after 60 fucking million acres of oil and gas lease sales are made 60 million acres of oil and gas lease sales have to be made in order for wind to happen in order for the renewable investment in wind <laughs> I mean it's crazy right So by the Department of Interior's own estimates, the Gulf of Mexico's sell off alone will lead to fossil fuel production that's equivalent to the annual emissions of 130 coal power plants, Mm.
10: 130
0: coal power plants. So I don't even know what to say about this. I mean, it's it's cartoonish that this is being heralded as like a climate bill when it really is like the oil and gas giants just laughing all the way to the bank and basically ensured that they had all their profits to be made
1: there's also a bunch of investments in like very dubious fixes to climate change like biofuels and stuff like that um i guess it uh yeah that's it's it's bad um and it's just like a it's like yes there can be some extra investments in renewables if you give the fossil fuel industry all this new access when there actually should be zero i mean again it relates back to the film Mad God, in my opinion, which is like the theme of it being God is angry at humans and punishing us because we can't get it right no matter how many chances we get. (laughs) Keep fucking it up even though it's... not society's fault for what's happening here. But yeah, so it's pretty so anyways, we don't want to I don't want to go too into like how bad the thing is. Yeah. It's like if there's it's yes, it's good that there's been this historic investment in renewables that is like a victory for the climate. I mean, people have been getting arrested, like all these things like a guy people have committed suicide protesting for the climate stuff like that. It is um there are some things in it that are a product of the movement, but it's absurd that this is the this is The only way we can get some kind of climate action is if it's packaged inside an actual huge victory for the fossil fuel industry, which is driving uh, the climate crisis. But we don't want to focus too much on all the bad stuff because climate like doomerism is a very, I think, just bad thing overall to be sucked into. So we want to talk about like what could happen if uh just better decisions were made and better investments were made so abby and i think did you the, li-
0: i think this really exposes the limitations within the system that we live in which is that nothing could be achieved without huge giveaways to the industries that essentially underwrite the government and that's why the climate solutions beyond capitalism is so important because it's bringing back that utopian vision of what society could look like kind of that venus project model of how communities can be structured if it made sense if we could actually see ourselves beyond the mad god reality that we're teetering on the edge of right now um, which is capitalism just predicated on endless growth and consumption on a finite planet i mean that really sums it up and that's why it's impossible to imagine really confronting this huge environmental crisis in the context in the confines of capitalism it just simply cannot and will not happen unfortunately so if we can look beyond that and and really kind of construct an alternative it's fascinating to see the possibilities are really endless mike and they've already been figured out you know capitalism also unfortunately limits a lot of the research and development in science because everything's everything kind of traps you into the model of ngoization the scientists are funded by giant corporations and then all of their research is folded into the survivability of the system itself and so it's hard to be it's hard to have revolutionary optimism or to put forward revolutionary goals when you're working inside that model and so that's why it's kind of these nuanced very compartmentalized things that are in the science fields as well that deal with this but um, as tina writes in the book i mean climate change is very doom and gloom i don't want to watch movies about climate change i barely like reading about it even though we're kind of making a documentary that is not you know it it is kind of about this but it's not (laughs) and it also is going to be way better and it's going to be fucking cool and shit so like you should watch it um it's not going to be like this at all but the thing is it's easy to be optimistic about the climate when you look at what has already been figured out. So like, you know, environmental engineer, Stanford professor, I remember seeing this a couple of years ago, Mark Jacobson basically put together all the evidence you need that all global energy needs could be powered by wind, water, and solar. That's not even taking into account nuclear, which has somehow been folded into the idea of renewable energy, not even taking in um, wave and geothermal this is just wind, water, and solar. Okay, so that's big because I think one of the big arguments
1: against the renewable green new deal, like stuff like that, is that it's not enough. It can't produce enough energy. Right. And that's why you need nuclear. That's why you need mm-hmm. some element of fossil fuels. That's why you need these other weird technologies that the U.S. government just threw a bunch of money into. So you're saying just,
0: just wind, wind water, water, and solar. solar. That's and all you need to power the, the thing whole is, planet. Exactly. Exactly. Look at Mark Jacobson's research because he followed up a couple of years later dispelling the critiques that were thrown at him from a lot of these heavily subsidized lobbying forces that were trying to debunk his thesis and say that there were modeling flaws. He actually went you know, he went through and actually dissected them and then released a really comprehensive follow-up that showed that there's a capacity to achieve total power generation in 139 countries by 2050 if the transition happened now. Here's how crazy just the United States is three states kansas north dakota and texas could power the entire country just on their wind capacity alone (laughs) say that again abby kansas north dakota and texas could power the entire country just on the wind capacity of those states That's fucking crazy. I mean, and and despite the potential... Basically, that's
1: saying if we develop the land accessible for wind power in those Mm -hmm. three states, which, you know, would be some big infrastructure project, but doable, you wouldn't need any more power plants in the U.S. It would all come from there. You wouldn't need anything. You would just need the wind just fields need in those three states for the entire, every city in America.
0: Every city in America, every state in the country. This just shows you there would you be uh, how much uh,
1: carbon emissions come from wind again?
0: None, baby. That's None. net zero right net there. Zero, that's actually dude. not net zero. That's just true zero. That's true zero. Truth zero. Um, and they just, it, wind power. That's, that's the, probably the craziest thing I've learned about this. No, like,
1: yeah. That's right. so, I can't actually... Since you told me that yesterday, I just can't stop thinking about it.
0: It's, it's insane.
1: fucking wild.
0: No, it's insane.
1: I mean, and then when you get into like the whole... So don't even have to waste all our... Don't wait, bother with investing in all this other shit. Let's just, just do... Let's just, focus just on one that. thing. Let's make a bunch of those propellers, you know? Let's invest in the propeller company even. You could do it within capitalism. Just give the <laughs> propeller companies, make a bunch <laughs> of those propellers, hire a bunch of people to put the propellers up, and put the whole country on one big, giant, one big grid. grid. Get, get a backup plant somewhere case it's not windy or something. But uh, no, but that's part of it, too, is that it's totally viable. It's not like you get some weird weather change and the power's out everywhere.
0: It's It's totally viable. And the thing is, it's totally not known about because the corporate media loves to not publish what are the potential, you know, and and actually the revolutionary optimism. So it's just constantly making people feel like it's an individual problem and totally hopeless about the situation. And you're right, Mike. I mean, the reason that we don't hear about this stuff is because the profit-making mechanism is not built in the same way that endless extractive industries are. So, of course, you know, extracting oil and natural gas is just like endless cash scheme. You know, it. you have to just keep raking in more and more and more. But whereas if you create the infrastructure to do something like this, how are you going to continue to make money off that other than like the maintenance, Right. So that's why the incentive simply does not exist for this. And also, what's crazy is like you don't ever hear about like wave and tidal and geothermal because there is no profit-making structure off that. It's like literally once you just build the infrastructure to capture the energy from the ocean, it's just there forever, you know? Um, Another thing that she brings up are microgrids. You know, right now the way that energy is distributed is just like across... The whole country through power lines it's very inefficient it's completely wasteful microgrids will harness the energy be able to give the surplus of energy that's produced in a certain area to people who don't have enough and so it's just putting little microgrids everywhere to be able to give and take right as after you weatherize your communities so working with the weather um, incorporating energy efficient appliances solar panels being able to convert for example asphalt i mean asphalt is something that is insane right um it it is hold on let me read this actual thing from her book because it's really fucking crazy yeah so just think about los angeles los angeles is basically like one giant parking lot you know Parking spaces account for a huge amount of space in Los Angeles. And like the entire city grids of all these main cities, especially Los Angeles, are built around freeway systems, the automobile, and suburbs. And so not only the cost of housing skyrocketing, but it's making emissions skyrocket because everyone is forced to commute further and further as they're pushed further and further away from where they work because they're not able to afford living in the city. So not only is that just totally you know, like not compatible with how we should be living, but also just the parking lots and huge black spaces that completely work contrary to how it absorbs the sun and could actually be useful for energy storage. So dark rooftop surfaces as well as parking lots trap the heat of the sun, creating an urban heat Island that increases air temperatures by as much as 44 degrees Fahrenheit. So pavement unlike a natural landscape does not allow urban areas to cool down overnight. So the heat waves that we're just seeing happen more and more becoming more frequent, that is going to cause more heat related deaths because of all the pavement that basically acts as like a mirror. um, This greenhouse effect that's just going to like reverberate in, in urban cities. So check this out, converting just 5% of pavement and roofs to cool versions, right, could lower urban temperatures by almost two degrees Fahrenheit. Holy shit! <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. I mean, of course, the lawns, you know, the suburbanization of, of culture is hugely counterintuitive to how we should be living, especially having everyone having their patches of lawns when really you should be rewilding replanting native plant species that adapt to local climate that could actually work and harness and bring back biodiversity. Biodiversity is of course key to this. And that's why indigenous cultures around the world um, have so much of it. And that's why it's so crucial to work and understand how they've had this reciprocal nature with, uh, I'm sorry, relationship with nature and working with the earth and how it can be really productive to, um, how we should be living. So Mike, those are just a few Abby, of the key analyses from this book and what we're going to be dosing you with, with earth's greatest enemy. Abby, I, I am, uh,
1: I'm about to fuck you up right now. Oh no. So I just did some calculating. Uh, so you know how we're talking about the F 35 program, the $1.7 trillion of us taxpayer dollars. So when you said that the whole country could be powered on wind turbines that could fit in the accessible land in those three States, I looked up if anyone had calculated how many actual turbines it would take to power the entire United States. And there is a number from that. There's a a calculation because the U.S. consumes 4 billion megawatt hours. It's The average annual U.S. electricity consumption is 4 billion megawatt hours. To be able to do that, you would need 583,000 onshore turbines, so turbines built Mm -hmm. on land like in that space. Uh, those turbines that produce that outage cost about $1.3 million a pop. So I multiplied $1.3 million by the 583000 that are needed. And there's already a lot of wind turbines. Mm-hmm. So this is just if we tore them all down and started from scratch. To build all the wind turbines that are necessary to power the entire United States using no fossil fuels whatsoever and just turbines, uh, it costs... Um, less than half of what the f-35 program costs it's wow. about 750 billion dollars when i first did it in the calculator i'm like oh 750 trillion dollars that's a lot and then i was like wait no that's i counted the commas like, wait, this is billion it is less than half of what it we of the money that we have that already dumped trash. to lockheed martin to build a trash jet i'm glad it's trash i don't want them to actually work anyway but uh just the amount... It's like the resources are already... We already have have them. Like, if we didn't invest in the F-35, the U.S. military would still be this big, powerful fucking air force, uh, yet we just wasted $1.7 trillion for no reason, and half of that could have literally gotten the entire country off of fossil fuels and created a whole lot of jobs doing it. It's just... its When you realize that solutions are so obvious and extremely easy, it just really shows that it's this weird stupid class system that we have keeping things profitable for these oil giants and fossil fuel giants that's really the only thing standing in the way of like saving humanity and the planet
0: no exactly and some people brought up some good points in the chat of course you know no one wants these huge centralized power stations to basically just transfer over the the current consumption that is happening obviously the united states needs to curb its consumption it is consuming at a rate of more than the entire planet at, at the rate that the US consumes energy and all the other shit that we're doing in, in this country would take five Earths yeah what is that it's I like, forget the actual statistic it's like it, the whole world it's a population horrible, consumed at the rate of yeah the US we would need five right? Earths right. currently because of how horrific our levels of consumption are so yes this has to work in conjunction with completely changing the way that we live in every arena and that also means No more single-use plastics. Absolutely just stopping that completely. Because that also is just the most dumb... I mean, it's just so fucking dumb, right? Especially when you realize that the health of the oceans um, are needed to harness the energy and combat these problems, Mike. And so single-use plastics, as well as curbing consumption transforming the way that we do industrial agriculture as well so there's a lot of facets to this i encourage people to check out the book let's move on because our kid woke up so we don't have too much more time yeah let's try to blast a couple more calls you uh, know a lot of people are waiting out appreciate you waiting so we're gonna ask oh and by the way ryan really quickly ryan said that four million houses were built already in venezuela that's how much has happened since Since we went there so ryan thank you for that that
1: correction that's that's nuts man Thank you, Ryan. Um, okay, so we're going to try to hear from as many people as we can in the short time we have left. Um, so please keep your comments short, be respectful of other people's time. And then once you make your comment, I'm just going to, as we respond, I'm going to get the next caller on the line. So we're not booting you. Don't feel offended if you see yourself go muted and off. It's just so we can try to uh, hear from as many people as we can. Gabriel, hey there, where are you calling from? Gabriel's gone. Mau. Gabriel,
0: no, you've been on so long.
1: Sorry, Gabriel. If you get back in the queue, we'll prioritize you. Bump you to the front. Mao, come off mute and tell us where you're calling from.
0: Gabriel's back,
3: by the way. Okay. Mao. Mao. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Um, a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to to be listening to you. To interesting conversations and the other folks. Uh, I'm calling from Costa Rica. Nice. Uh, so. It, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are having a, a lot of interesting conversations about. Green energy and you know uh, how we can live a little bit closer to nature. Uh, uh, our entire grid system is through um, waterfalls, right? Is through uh, mm. you know, um, hydro energy. You know, I, I think like ninety-nine percent of all the power that we use is uh, used through um, uh, through uh, you know uh, hydraulic energy. So you know uh, wow. we can adapt a lot of the grid of what uh, the world already offers, right? Uh, It's not uh, necessary to invent or reinvent the wheel, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So uh, a little bit about my experience, uh, you know, as uh, as I got dosed, right? Uh, How I started in the, you know, uh, journey to leftism is kind of interesting and and counterintuitive. It is through business school. (laughs) I I went to... (laughs) uh, uh, the, the business school, kind of like the top business school of, of Central America, right? Uh, kind of like the the, the Harvard of, of the region. And I met, uh, you know, the sons and daughters of, of captains of the industry and of politicians and of uh, really powerful people and rich people, uh, you know, uh, kind of as, 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 a, as, a, as a person that is not uh, from those groups, not from those circles, right? Uh, and I, I realized that a lot of them are good people, but a lot of them are, Mouth breathers they're, they're they're very dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I realized, Okay, wait a minute. Uh, these folks are going to be right uh, because of the the stationary life and the status quo. They're going to be decision makers. They're going to be uh, folks that are going to uh, you know have the reins of the, of the economy of the politics of of my country and the region. Uh, and you know uh, they, they they can't uh, solve simple. Uh, 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 Problems, Not only business problems, not only academically, but, you know, kind of like every day-to-day situations, right? A lot of them are very stupid. Um, So that got me reading, that got me into, uh, you know, uh, kind of like uh, uh, finding out by myself a little bit because, uh, of course, as you can imagine, the the education that was getting there uh, did not uh, direct me into uh, leftism and Marxism um so i had to find other means uh, and i eventually did uh, uh you know uh, by research of my own and by you know uh, speaking with uh, folks from other uh aspects of my life um and yeah uh, i think that um you know kind, kind of like uh, from the third world perspective um it's, it's interesting uh, and and with this i am closing uh, so that you can, uh, because I want to hear from you uh, a little bit of your comments, because uh, uh, from from our side, uh, we kind of like repeat trends, right, uh, both in fashion and culture and but also in politics. Uh, for example, in Costa Rica right now, we the, the, the newly elected president, uh, uh, Rodrigo Chavez, is kind of like our Trump version that came right after our uh Obama version, Mm. right? We used to have a guy that was young, hip, whatever, uh, but, uh, you know, make all the necessary, uh, you know, um, aesthetic decisions, right, Uh, in terms of of signaling, kind of like a you know something that is—I'm not going to say relevant, but definitely not going to solve things. Like for example, uh, hosting up the flag of uh, you know the the, the pride flag uh, of the LGBT populations—wonderful signal—but didn't do anything in terms of all the necessities that those populations have. Uh, for example, uh, abortion rights uh, in this country are way way behind what is mm. uh, you know uh, considered necessary in the world and. You know, the only reason that we got even like a small, uh, technical, uh, you know, step forward was through a lot of pressure that the uh, 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 women did and you know uh, all the uh, leftist organizations in the country. Um, and right now, this other guy is not only not uh, taking away these small advances that we had, but uh, making sure that the door is shut by um, making it way harder and much more difficult uh, in terms of uh, uh, legality and uh, potential punishment for protesting, right? Uh, He's uh, making uh, laws that are going to make it harder for, you know, closing those streets and marching and stuff like that, Uh, you know, kind of like with the always uh, used argument of, um, you know, uh, this is uh, affecting peace and this is affecting uh, transit uh, rights for folks when, you know, uh, Right now, uh, this guy is trying to cut down funding on on public universities, uh, which is, I, I think, a little bit of the reason why Costa Rica has had such a different uh, history than a, a, or a different economics than the, the rest of the the region. Um, but, anyways, uh, kind of like this uh, momentum of of. Um, Maybe fascism, fascism is like kind of like crying wolf, but uh, this right-wing ideology or populism, kind of like in in the bad way, because I know that there is an argument to be made that governments should uh, do popular initiatives, but this is not necessarily that, um, or, or, or at least fighting elites, kind of like again only in terms of aesthetics, not in terms of uh, actual fundamental uh, changes. Um, we're, we're living through that. Uh, uh, here in Costa Rica as well. I'm pretty sure that other callers from other countries are, are you know, picturing themselves in, in the situations and as you, as you are in the U.S. So a little bit of my question or, or where I think that we can have a conversation is uh, how do you think that we can manage a, a kind of swing that back in the more productive direction uh, in terms of um, you know trying to to make actual change and not only this kind of like. Um, just uh, the facade change. Uh, Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. That was a really insightful
1: call. Mal, thanks for that. And and you're right that there is this kind of uh, back and forth. I mean, we saw, like, surges of left-wing leaders in Latin America in the early 2000s, and then there's definitely a Trump effect kind of right-wing surge uh, all across the world as well, you know, in Latin America and elsewhere. And there really is this back-and-forth. It's kind of characteristic of society because it's, it's there's a global crisis of capitalism. And in a global crisis of capitalism, there is going to be a swinging of uh, uh, solutions that get more and more popularity and, and stuff like that. And so the only thing we can do, really, Is do our part to popularize the right solutions. I mean, just like the stuff we're talking about with the climate, there's definitely a a move. There's there's definitely a movement in response to the climate crisis that is saying very bad solutions or that it doesn't exist at all, and they are capturing uh, followers. They are capturing attention. They are capturing influence, uh, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, being part of popularizing the good solutions the progressive solutions the the ones that are really good for the working class and and for the planet and things like that i mean that does a lot it it really does and and media like this and supporting media like this and um you know being that kind of voice in your community in your school or wherever you are stuff like that it it makes a bigger impact than you think because it's it's really a battle of of ideas and what is going to capture large numbers of people into what direction and and yes that can go towards a good direction of revolution and socialism and and planning and the kind of things you're talking about with these climate solutions those things are possible but also what's just as possible is like declining deeper into uh a decayed capitalism fascism is an alternative you know it is one of the alternatives that exists and is very very possible and so yeah no it's a uh, It's a battle of ideas. And we appreciate your call and adding the to the list of the international callers we got today.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say I've been to Costa Rica several times. I studied abroad there. I have friends that live there. I wonder if the influx of Westerners, um, a lot of Americans have kind of furthered this (laughs) neoliberal kind of, you know, degradation that's happening there, which is sad because I mean, Costa Rica, what I think is really interesting about it is that it was the first country in the world to abolish its army um since 1949 it hasn't had a standing army but it's unfortunate to hear mao talk about how there's been kind of a strength uh, an internalized repression of the state despite that and i'm hoping that you know there there can be people who are leading the country in the right direction and bringing it back to the roots of having this kind of neutral standing and really focusing more on environmental investment and green technology and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. You know, one more and climate, fat- ass
0: fucking country
1: about the new climate bill that I forgot to mention, um, is that, uh, it also guts it as part of the deal that Schumer and Manchin made to pass the inflation reduction act. It includes that it, the Democrats have promised to get rid of like, uh, regular permitting regulations so, that pipelines, fossil fuel infra- infrastructures, export p- facilities can bi- get built more quickly and easily. So, like the things of the struggle, the big struggle over pipelines right now, one of the big weapons that the climate movement has had is actually challenging the permits, tying them up in the course, and things like that. And so now they're removing that where this shit's just going to go up without any barriers really quickly. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the idea that there's this other way is just so apparent, but there's all these completely stupid things like this that are getting thrown in there when there's so many great alternatives.
0: Yeah. Cause a lot of activists did fight to protect the Arctic and Gulf of Mexico. And that, um, that was completely sidelined by, I think this legislation, if I, if I'm not mistaken, mm. Gabriel, we want to hear from you. Sorry. Sorry. We, uh, we didn't hear from you earlier. We're excited to hear what you have to say.
10: Uh, hi, Ebbing and Mike. Um, I'm a long time listener. Can you guys hear me? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, like I said, um, I've been listening to you guys. Well, I'll just tell you my first day of experience. Um, I was in second grade, and that was uh, 2001. And uh, I went to the restroom. I came out, and I went back into my, cl- my classroom. And we had one of those, like, you know, roller cart uh, TVs. And uh, it was 9-11. And I saw, like, the <sighs> Twin Towers going down. And I didn't really um, know how to process it. I just saw everyone especially my teacher just looking at the tv and just with this you know look of horror and just shock and um i think that like implanted like a seed in me like you know, unconsciously that kind of made me want to learn um as much about the world as i could and you know i kind of was trying to like learn a bunch of different languages um, i never um i'm mexican-american so i kind of um i i grew up uh, speaking spanish but i kind of gained like um some understanding of a, a bunch of like random languages um and uh I, also i forgot to mention i'm calling from uh bakersfield california so nice. that's pretty much hey. you know big oil big business you know country it's super po- one of the most polluted cities in the country and it's like very uh right wing you know it's one of like the you know white right wing country um c- uh, cities in california you know people usually think of California is being liberal and it is but you know Bakersfield is pretty right um, but to continue my uh, dose journey um, i I went to the locals uh, Cal State here Cal State Bakersfield and I took a woman in politics class and um, that kind of dosed me my professor she she's originally from India but she just had a way of um, Asking, making you uh, think of, like, these big questions, and um, I had never really known how, like, women were seen differently in politics, and, you know, I kind of got, like, the basic, you know, rundown of how women are treated differently in politics and how they have, like, a harder chance of making it, and, you know, I was like, oh, like, I was still in, like, the baby, like, neoliberal, like, mindset of, like, oh, like, like, uh, look what's happening to Hillary Clinton and all this stuff. And it kind (laughs) of, it kind of opened up my mind to like, okay, like what else is out there? And so I was just, you know, um, doing random Google searches. And actually, um, I was just browsing through the, the, my, my cable, and I found this channel called RT. And there's a show called Breaking the Set. And there's this uh, woman who was just like I had never uh, seen someone like you, Abby. Just you know, exactly. Yeah, it, you really did boast <laughs> me, and oh um, yeah, I, I just I just loved ju- the energy, and like you just kept blowing blowing my mind after each episode I was listening to, and um, so I really appreciate um, you know the work you do. And then um, once I got into you, I um, f- I, f- I found Meteor Roots Radio, and then eventually Empire Files, and then Eyes Left. You know, with Mike and um i forget your buddy's name but who was in the military spencer spencer that's his name and um yeah um so that's kind of been my uh dose journey and um i actually i got my you know going back to the um my my cal state days i wanted to be a cia agent or like an fbi agent (laughs) because you know because that's all i knew you know i didn't know about this you know um um, anti-capitalist, you know, imperialist perspective that was that was out there until I found your work um, and you know others like you out there could have had a real yeah. different path there. Yeah, no. yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I could God have been a spoof RT being on cable. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was. You know, now it's unfortunately. I mean, now it's not. But um, I know it's unfortunate. But it's just like the society that we live in of you know the anti-communists or even though it wasn't like you know Russia TV is not. Pro-communist, but um, you know what I mean. But um, you know, to get off of that um, trajectory of politics, I know we, I know that's what you guys mainly do. But I'm also like a big time cinephile, and um, I, have I you love, seen Have you seen the film Mad God? <laughs> I, I, I haven't, but my my buddy who actually dosed me on movies because you know I just had a basic you know superficial understanding of movies. I have a buddy who opened up my mind. To um, these other movies, you know, foreign movies. I know, I know. We like to shit on like American movies and how like they're pretty <laughs> like formulaic and basic, and you know they're just, you know, they're just there to make you feel good, right? But um, I got introduced to like all these foreign movies, independent American directors, and it just blew my mind. And um, I've kind of been What's on that journey as well. Yeah, tell, What's drop, your number one? Drop
1: What's gonna. What if um, you want if everyone was going to go watch one film from that experience what would it be?
10: Have you guys heard of Hunger? Um it's like a Steve McQueen movie. He um he's like a uh Af- he's like an African British director. Um Michael Fassbender's in it and it's like about um like the, I think it's like set in Ireland. It's about like it, Yeah, he's pretty Bobby fans. Yeah, he's going through like a hunger strike and it's cool. it's it's so visceral and um I had never seen anything like it before. And that was one of the first movies that kind of just blew my mind. And um, to make like a recent example, um, have you guys seen Everything Everywhere All at Once? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Saw in the theaters. That was yeah, really cool. That that movie. Um, so <laughs> speaking of dosed, um, I before watching that movie, I uh, I smoked some weed and then I took uh, <laughs> like, a couple of like capsules of like mushrooms. Oh what? <laughs> And I also Damn. did like like a like, a, like a, a teaspoon of like like shrimp honey, and um, I, I wasn't I wasn't feeling anything until I had like a a couple of like puffs of, of weed, and I kind of just started seeing like like everything around me just kind of looked like fake. It looked like um 2D, and so I was kind <laughs> of like I was already like you know pretty trip. I was tripping pretty hard, and like every just, everything just seemed like off to me. And then I went to go see that movie. And that movie just kind of like was, you know, a, a trip in itself. And um speaking of like practical and visual effects, like that movie um like had like a really small team and you know, most of their effects were like practical. Like I know I know like Marvel and Disney likes to do like these, you know, out of bounds CGI that's like, you know, um very uh basic and it's like literally like the same thing in every movie. Um but this movie kind of like, you know, went back to the the basics and made something really cool with like a really small budget as well. So that's um, amazing. And, I didn't realize their budget was so small. Yeah. Compared to like some big Hollywood movies. Well, it and,
1: makes sense. It's a really good movie. So no one wanted to invest in it.
10: Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> it, 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 and it touches on so many like topics as well. And, um, and yeah, and just a couple more things. I know I'm just trying to, it's really exciting talking to you guys because, like I said, I've been following you guys for like, like almost like a decade. And um, if you guys want a recommendation for like movies or like yeah. alternative like platforms, there's one called a uh, Mubi, M U B I, and it's okay. and um, it pretty much has like a lot of like like a like kind of like what does me. It has like a lot of like American independent movies, um, foreign movies from you know from the 20th century and you know, current movies. Um, some two really good movies I saw were from uh Georgia, not this, not the state, but like the country, you know, the <laughs> European country. And um, one's called Um, and then we danced, and it's about it's kind of like an LGBTQ uh, movie. They actually both are, and um, I guess Georgia's very conservative and you know, homophobic, mm-hmm. and um, they have like a very um, deep culture and like masculine, like dance. And like this movie was kind of like a counterculture uh, movie, like the main protagonist is um, discovering like he's he's uh, he's gay, and then he's also like um, he he has like a way of dancing that isn't like the typical masculine way of dancing, and then um, that sounds really great. And yeah, so I, I recommend those. And um, to one last thing, I'll mention um, um, my focus for my BA was uh, Asia, so um, I was really into China. And I really loved you guys' uh, previous episode on China oh, that's because, um, so yeah, I'm pretty much like a cinephile and a and a cinephile, <laughs> and um, as well, um, I uh, and I went to China. I went there for a couple of weeks. I went on like a you know just like a regular tour, and I went to like Beijing, Shanghai. Um, uh, what was the other one? Um, the one where they have the terracotta warriors sitting um, oh. nearby. I forget the name. I'm blanking on it right now. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I know I know you're talking about. Man, that must have been so cool. It was it was really amazing. Um you know, I was kind of, you know, learning about the history and um, you know, current and past. Um I, I was a little unsure. He was like, "How, you know, how is it going to be?" But it was mm-hmm. the complete opposite. It was really clean, uh, amazing uh buildings, high-rises, uh streets. Um very modern compared to like what we have here. And it's just like like you know, it, it's like the hinterlandization. Um I don't know if you guys were talking about that before. Um, yeah. yeah, with
0: Jody Dean, yeah. Yeah,
10: Jody Dean. Um That's, c- compared to China, like China is like, you know, light years ahead of us in terms of like urban planning. Right. Um, and just because, you know, of their system of how, like, they just, they're very pragmatic. And I mean, they're also like very bureaucratic as well. Like, you know, they're, they mm-hmm. created bureaucracy. Um But yeah, it's... It's nothing, like, if anyone ever wants to go to China, like, it's not, like, repressive. There isn't, like, people with guns on the streets, like, you know, in Israel or something, or even (laughs) here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, especially here. Um, So, yeah, definitely. I don't know if they're open right now. Um, I know Japan's been kind of closed for a while, but um, I definitely recommend people going to China just so they can get dosed and, you know, not believe what the media is saying about China being, like, a super, you know, uh, i mean they do have like certain aspects that are pretty that can be repressive but it's just because they're so afraid of you know um like they've suffered so much they've had so much turmoil in their in their like recent history that the state isn't like they don't want something they don't want like a you know a, a uprising to occur again because there's so much trauma um in china that that they don't want to you know have something like that happen again and they've been on a pretty good trajectory Um, as of late and that's what uh, i liked
0: that ting said in the last episode just like it's important to stay curious Mm -hmm, right and just not have this kind of reflexive idea like rejecting whatever the you you know the the u.s enemy de jour is and so about china i think yeah i mean of course there's critiques to be had but like that's all we ha- we hear constantly right. and so to yeah. just be curious about what another system could be like and like you said i mean being light years ahead of us in terms of urban planning and
10: transportation um,
0: transportation <laughs> mm-hmm. light speed rail all that stuff i mean it was really it was pretty cool incredible I, I, got stuff. On, I got on
10: one of those i think i oh, went wow. from i went from uh i think that city i'm trying to think of um to uh the southern city in China. Sh- and I'm going to was... say this
0: wrong, but Xi'an, is that Xi'an? Uh,
10: no. X-I-A-N, uh, I- that's what people are saying Oh, uh, Xian.
2: Xi'an.
10: Xi'an, yeah. From Xi'an. Xian from Xi'an to uh, Chong- Chongqing. And that's, like, a southern uh, eastern city, like, it's in Sichuan province. And that's where they have, like, uh, Sichuan peppers are, like, renowned for their spicy food, especially, like, hot pot. Oh, yeah. Like, it'll, like, numb your tongue, like i it was a really cool experience um and uh you must be but, you must be younger be able
1: to eat uh, stuff,
10: yeah, I'm in like my like I'm almost thirty, so I'm still enjoy in my it focus.
1: while you can enjoy the yeah. Szechuan peppers while you can you'll oh you yeah can, i'm I'm already reaching no right though
10: there. and Gabriel, uh, yeah,
1: we really appreciate your call and for following our work for for so long and um call in thank any you. other time, thank you guys, cool, thanks Gabriel. We are gonna try to take as many other calls as we can it might just be one Alex you might be the last caller tell us where you're calling from please please
11: hey Mike can you hear me yes yes Mike my name is Alex I'm from New Brunswick New Jersey it's a pleasure oh, to be hey. you and Abby I'm a huge fan of you know listening to all your other podcasts I love Media Roots Radio I love Empire Files uh, I think I it's funny uh i just recently went back and listened to an interview with you that you had with mike's brother about going to north korea i thought that was oh, yeah. a very insightful episode
1: yeah people can find that that is a. Uh, you know i was actually just thinking with the last um with gabriel talking about china like that that would actually be a cool episode to do on this show about north korea but yeah my brother spent three weeks in North Korea and had a really interesting experience and there's a podcast on Empire Files podcast about it um, I'll find the title so I can say at the end but yeah keep going sorry but yeah that was a cool one I, I definitely was just thinking about that it's funny you brought it up
11: yeah I, I, uh, I actually have a similar dose story to the previous guest it's nothing nothing uh, spectacular but um, basically the 2016 election I, uh, I, I I was a completely un aware, you know, politically in that time and just the election of Trump sort of like made things click. I remember I wa- I saw a Facebook ad the night before the general election and it was basically like some Trump supporter was just like s- screaming slurs at, at, at a guy like after some sort of like traffic collision, he's like screaming Trump, screaming the N-word and has his hat and I'm like, I realized at that moment, sort of, the the level of manipulation that, you know, was behind the Hillary campaign. Like, it's, it, it, they, I realized that there, it was so hollow and there were just, there was just so much fear mongering, you know. And not to say that, you know, a lot of racist people aren't in this country. That's, that, that's definitely not the case. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of fell into, the left YouTube rabbit hole and somehow (laughs) somehow didn't (laughs) escape the right wing rabbit hole. And, uh, you know, I found shows like breaking the set. I found people like Chris hedges. Uh, I used to really like Jimmy Dore, but, uh, he's a little too buddy buddy with Tucker Carlson for me (laughs) at the moment. Um, go ahead. No, 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 keep going. Oh yeah. I was just going to say that, um, I'm really glad that you made this show. Uh I was really, you know, a lot of the a lot of the YouTubers that popped up in sort of the aftermath of the Trump election have sort of you know, we've come we've come to see that a lot of those people turn out to be grifters. You know, a lot of those people are, you know, a little bit too liberal, you know, a little bit too much uh, investing in the Democratic party. Um and it's funny I was actually going back and watched listening to a bunch of old Media Roots episodes uh, before uh, this podcast came out and I was just so relieved that like people who cover these like you know lighter topics usually don't have you know a comprehensive understanding of you know the world and its politics and it really makes it more of a full experience when you're able to know about the world just talking about any subject. And uh, what I wanted to ask is uh, if either of you have seen the movie Don't Look Up, which uh, <laughs> it came out on Netflix this year. It's a Leonardo DiCaprio is like a climate scientist. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I watched that movie. A lot of people didn't like it. That movie made me like incredibly depressed for a few weeks because it just, it's cartoonish, but it just, it's a little too close to home. It's like Jeff Bezos and these billionaires are actually trying to figure out a way to escape the planet and leave us here all to die. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's
1: actually, that's actually happening. I mean, that's actually an important piece of the climate disaster thing is that they know that it's coming and the, the billionaire class, like, the, the people with that level of money, and and I am sure people who have in the hundreds of millions who aren't billionaires, they have built their lifeboats. Basically, they've built their bunkers. They're stocked with things to survive for generations. I mean, they're organized staff to work in them for them. You know, bringing their service people into the bunkers with them. I mean, it's it's a highly organized thing that already happens. Like they and they've had it for a long time. So it's like they it, it, don't look up. It's almost like. Inaccurate in the sense that they had to figure out how to get off the planet, and it's like it would have been more accurate if they all just blasted off when the comet started coming because they were already prepared for the comet coming because they knew it was coming for a decade. And so, yeah, that's one of the really weird parallels. It's a great film; I thought it was cool. But yeah, you're right; it does hit a little too close to home, especially going through like the COVID experience, where like our country like kind of led the world in rates of death. Yet we also had this mass movement of people that just were saying that it was all fake and not actually happening. And that I think is just, um, that itself was kind of a bad thing to have happen. And the kind of industry around telling people it was fake and not really happening and all the money that was made off of it, but all the people that got duped and died because of it and all of that. But that's just like a kind of glimpse of, uh, what will happen when we're in some kind of major climate emergency also and so like this tendency that our society is so sick right now that that is a result of actually a big mass death pandemic is a significant sector of society like protesting against health measures telling people that it's fa- like all this stuff so it is um it is scary to think about what how people will react when there's other serious things happening pandemic or otherwise
11: yeah, uh let me just say one more thing. Uh mm-hmm. thanks for taking my call. Keep up the great work. I can't wait to see Earth's greatest enemy when it's finished. And uh I look forward to more Alex Jones impressions from Abby. <laughs>
1: Um, well, we're. Uh, I think we're recording a Media Roots about Alex Jones uh, tomorrow oh, with yeah. myself and Abby and Robbie. So uh, if you're not on Media Roots Radio, check that out. Um, Alex, really appreciate you calling in. Um, and we are also excited to see the film. We got a long road ahead. We're almost done filming and then we're going to get writing and editing and then we'll have a better idea of when everyone's going to see it thanks again also for bringing up that north korea episode it's actually titled eyewitness north korea which you can find on empire files podcast on whatever streaming service you're on so encourage people to check that out um i think i can take one more caller uh but it's got to be quick ali you're on the line where are you calling from
9: hello (laughs) oh yes i'm calling from denmark actually
1: Oh, yes, you put another notch on our, our map of this episode. <laughs> yes. And I,
9: my application crashed earlier, so I was like, please. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So, what's up? Um, yes, I will, I'm trying to keep it quick. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Abby and Mike and Robbie as well. I've been following you for a long time. Uh, Abby, actually, since you took over from Alona back in RT, I was very disappointed that she left, but you kind of one up to went up to her, so I was very <laughs> impressed uh, if you ever met her i would like to hear how that went um, uh, other than that yeah yeah um other than that i'd say um uh about my dosed journey. I think I had a crazy dad who let me watch all the movies I wanted to watch. So I watched like Robocop and Terminator 2. Mm. And that definitely, uh, as a five-year-old or whatever, I, I started thinking about nuclear war. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because anyone who sees that scene in Terminator 2 still thinks about nuclear war, I'm pretty sure.
1: <laughs> That's, yeah, and uh, Robocop, highly political movie as well.
9: Yes, very satirical and very anti-capitalist, which I probably didn't get as a five-year-old, but you know I got it later. Uh, <laughs> um, but then I'd say the the time where everything really turned around, of course, was nine eleven, and then mm. the Iraq War, and actually exactly the uh, Operation Shock and Awe in two thousand three. That was uh, that was definitely the point of no return for me. I, I guess I was 12 or maybe 13 and and I had this image of the world being a civilized diplomatic place. And when the bombs started, rockets started raining down, everything just crashed for me. It's like I've, I've been living a lie. I don't I don't understand how everyone's been living this lie, but I'm done. <laughs> and then I got very, very radical afterwards and um, got involved in in Venezuela activism after watching uh, the revolution will not be televised and that was great just another film. rabbit hole yes great absolutely. film people
1: should watch It's a 2002 film the revolution will not be televised about the yes. coup against still chavez great. and the mass movement that put him back in power really really important especially since i mean that was also a dose thing for me because it was when i was still trying to figure out politics i wasn't yet a socialist i had just gotten out of the army and i remember Everyone's saying, like, in learning in school that, like, when the coup happened, that the Venezuelan government, or like, that the Venezuelan government repressed all media so nothing could be anti government and shut everything down and all this stuff. And so I was very much like, ah, oh, they shut down freedom of speech. That's really bad. And then in Revolution Will Not Be Televised, you realize that that's actually what, like, the coup plotters did they went to all the tv stations mm. shut them down only aired like fake things that were happening like all that so it's like it really kind of turned everything upside down for me and helped uh win me over to the to the good side but continue
9: yeah no yeah absolutely and and once you get that you're like wow like a coup like in broad daylight pretty much like what else is happening and then you find out you know the list of countries we all know so i won't mention them here but iran was probably the first one. research after that which just is shocking pretty much and then you know that that was the wonderful early days of the internet, you know or at least uh, the late internet, so you had early YouTube and especially Google videos you could just watch shocking stuff all day you know, and then <laughs> that was that was pretty much the end uh, and were then, you, uh, in, you know, were you in Denmark when the Iraq war started oh yeah, yeah yeah i I'm born raised here,
1: yeah yeah, so that's uh I think a a lot of people forget it wasn't just the U.S. like rogue action in fading Iraq. It was supported oh, by no. was dozens NATO. of other countries, yeah, yeah. including Denmark, um, which Absolutely. actually contributed uh, like naval assets yes. to the war, even though they didn't send troops. To my knowledge, but yes, no, it was. Uh, so that's like the whole rules based order thing kind of went out the window because it was like a huge coalition of countries coming together under the. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the tutelage of the
9: U.S. to do it. Oh, yeah, and, and Denmark did send troops as well. Action. We sent both to Afghanistan oh, wow. and to Iraq as well, which which was a shocking thing for all of us because we're like, what are we even doing there? Like, Afghanistan doesn't even make sense. And what, so what are we doing here? And then, but, but you know, everyone was watching on TV. Saddam was saying, well, you know, I'll blow all my rockets up. I'll, I'll give up. Just let me be, you know. They were showing this, and then suddenly we're bombing. them. That's right. like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. No, um, but yeah. A turning then, point uh, for
1: a lot of people, for sure.
9: You're yeah, alone. and then uh, yeah, so uh, that's that's just how you get people political. You start doing crazy, crazy things like the U.S. did, and I used to love the America. You know, I still kind of do, but you know, not like that, not the empire. Um, yeah, so got involved in socialist politics. Uh, just done awesome. last year period and city council. Lots of interesting things that led from oh, that. <laughs> but I want to thank you again for everything, and yeah, you get to see your child soon. <laughs> so thank have you a nice very evening. much.
1: Thank you, Ali and uh, Abby. Just had to bounce to. Get our kit up but there's one more caller on the line so i don't want to just leave one caller hanging so pax you yes. are going to take your call uh right. please tell me where you're calling from pax
12: how's my audio coming in
1: it sounds cool actually are you what are you on some kind of gaming headset
12: no i'm trying to set up my own little studio to get in on this call in action so
1: you sound cool <laughs>
12: uh but i guess you can only host from your smartphone is that true
1: yes but yeah. If you're like us, you could come up with an elaborate rig of ah, technology. Nice. Uh,
12: I love you guys. I, I I was born in 1972, so at the in December I'm going to turn 50. But uh, I've hell yeah, I've I've been dosed for quite a while. I just I have an interesting um, background, though. I mean i i was I was raised like a full on evangelical, but then I had uh, I, I was exposed to guys like Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn. So I thought Jesus was coming back at the same time that I knew that you know the American Empire was evil, which kind of put me at odds with my evangelical uh, compatriots there. But uh, it was kind of schizophrenic for a while, and I've since gone through my own spiritual deconstruction and stuff like that. But uh, but I've been I've kind of been newly radicalized, uh, and one of the things that's I mean, you guys are always helping to to radicalize people and wake people up. But uh, what's been really helpful for me is the blowback podcast. I, I really mm-hmm. suggest people check that out. They cover first season, they cover Iraq. Second season, they cover Cuba. Third season, they cover the Korean War. And that's just, that's amazing. Um, but what Yeah, I
1: listened to their first season on Iraq, and I thought they did a really incredible job. Yeah,
12: yeah. Excellent. Good dudes. Um, but my question for you, I know, and thank you so much for, for uh, bringing me on. I know I'm the last guy. I figured I figured you couldn't let me... Let me hang there. I appreciate it. Um, but what I'm wondering is, see, I'm I'm going online. I it's the it's we're at the point where we need to um, do more than just uh, connect online. We need to actually begin to form communities, and we we need to begin to collaborate with like-minded people where we're at in our own neighborhoods. So I'm going online, and I'm looking at all these different, you know, organizations, and I I think the decentralization is good. I think that it's good that we have all these different left-wing parties and movements, but there still needs to be coordination. Um, So my question for you, though, is uh, what would be something good to be involved in? I'm looking at things like the – I've reached out to the – I think it's the – PSL, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, based out of San Francisco. There's still the Communist Party USA. There's still the Socialist Party USA. There's other things like um, uh, the Black Alliance for Peace that I've been referred to. Uh, what do you suggest? What's a good organization that has like local groups that people can connect with?
1: So I've actually been a member of the PSL since 2006, so quite some time, and now there's chapters like everywhere so uh you're, you're probably not far from one if you live in the united states um
12: but you know I, honestly, i'm in hawaii i'm in hawaii oh, they've already told me there's nothing there's here not i start there. a chapter it's like one of the places. i also have i also have friends and relatives in sacramento so when i go to sacramento in september i want to connect with some people
1: so are you uh so i mean so i think the answer to your question is it always of course depends on you know what's happening locally and what's it's yeah. always easiest to get plugged into something that's already happening versus, yeah, like, exactly. you know, doing your own organizing. No, which, that's, of course, is sure. important also, and so it's whatever's happening locally. You can find that out easily, and and then plug into what really
12: speaks to you. I think in
1: Hawaii, yeah. if, you know, there's the Water Protector stuff that's really important yeah. that's happening right now. If you are you on Oahu by any chance?
12: Yes, I am on Oahu, and yeah, I, I mean, follow these. Lincoln. I follow these guys, yeah. and I, I've been listening to some of their uh, podcasts and stuff, and I, I totally support them. I just haven't reached out and connected with them.
1: Yeah, and it's really just – I mean, there's everywhere has something going on to some degree. Yeah. And places where there's not, there's opportunities to link up – with organizations that don't have a presence there, but would like to support actions that are happening there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's things you can't always predict what's going to happen and when, because there's always upsurges that are spontaneous and things to get involved in there. But yeah, I mean, it's really just, um, you can find the organizations that that speak to you in terms of the issues you care about and, and what your yeah. politics are. And even if there's not a chapter where you are, there's ways to coordinate and, and link up with them and, and all of that stuff. And so, but I would, I, I'm glad you brought this up and it's, I, I'm glad that we're, ending on this call because that is you know it's one thing to consume the media and become dosed and wake yourself up and all that stuff and even use that to wake other people up and share it and and introduce other people to it but really the important thing is for people to get active and get mobilized with other organizations be involved in street actions and all of that like that's really the most important thing and so yeah there's uh it's there's no easy answer to it, but it's find out what's happening locally, find out what's happening nationally that you can plug into and um just jump into it. I mean, it's like sure. one of those it's like it's like going to the gym. It's like you can put it off for a real long time, but once you start going you're like, "All right, this is why I meant this is why I shouldn't have put this off so long and now I'm
12: It's sort of only the future of humanity we're talking about. Yeah, you know? exactly,
1: exactly. So <laughs> it's um if you haven't taken that step yet, you know, I, I definitely recommend everyone has and it's uh yeah. you know, it it will make you feel less Pessimistic about everything because there is hope in the masses and of people absolutely ability to, to take charge and everything. So, um, Pax, thanks again for your call. Thank you. And thanks again Best for everyone luck, you guys. listening. Uh, before we go, I'm going to before we go, I'm going to let you know what's coming up on our schedule, which you don't always have. Next Sunday, August 21st at 1 p.m. It's Jesse Ventura really fun episode be sure to get in the queue early for that one gonna take some calls he actually used to host a call-in show himself on the radio and then the very next day Monday August 22nd we will have Chris Ryan on Uh, he wrote a really groundbreaking book called Sex at Dawn and a couple years ago he published another book called Civilized to Death really cool guy Uh, Abby's been on his podcast before and he will be joining us for the first time and then the following week, we're talking about bees, baby—the pollinating kind. Anyways, thanks for joining us today on Dose. I'm gonna take you out with a little more King Black Bolt. Enjoy the tunes and enjoy the rest of your weekend.